It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast. Episode 122. One deuce deuce, if you will. Uh, Happy to be back this week. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, my co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my tag team championship partner in podcasting. The J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, The J? Oh, hey, Ed. The J is pumped. We're back on the horse. The What's Real podcast summer vacation is over. We're back to the grind. But that's when our team really shines. Hey, Ed, like knights in shining armor over in this mug. And as you can tell, I'm overly pumped up. I'm already stumbling over words, but you know that's a good thing here on the Dub Our Question Mark. And you know I'm going to shout this out, hey, uh, because your boy the J is as pumped this week as Marion Cabretti himself. And I am also as pumped as the Night Slasher. You'll fill in what I'm referencing, but that's how pumped the J is for the one double deuce. Let's do the damn thing. Hey, you. Got a big show this week. As usual, we're going to be talking in full Stranger Things Season 4. We're also going to be talking about the brand new A&E bio on The Undertaker, Mark Calloway. Uh, The return of Thursday Night Prime, as dangerous as usual each and every week here. Uh, for, you know, I'd say, you know, definitely a few more weeks. So we're good there. We're talking Cobra from 1986. Uh, of course, we're going to talk some goofs and much more. So let's just get into it. The J. Uh, naturally, just to be a smart ass, you got to start out with this one. So a lot of shit going on with Vince McMahon lately, eh? <laughs> uh, come on, pal. Oh, man. This is brutal. Like, so they're saying four women over the past 16 years have been paid around or over or near $12 million uh, to silence allegations of sexual misconduct and infidelity. Uh, One of the non-disclosure deals involved McMahon and a former wrestler, where according to uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, he coerced her into giving oral sex and then demoted her and ultimately declined to renew her contract after she resisted further sexual encounters. Uh, this comes after a June 15th journal report that McMahon paid $3 million in hush money to a woman with whom he allegedly had an affair. There is no excuse for the hideous behavior of the alleged behavior. See, this is now I'm starting to read the fucking article here that on uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, but I'm not going to put my opinion into this like that. But yeah, we kind of knew this shit with Vince. Um, it's not like the best kept secret in the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like we, I think we talked about this previously on one of the shows where Vince and Linda have been married for how many years now, but like they're not really like married. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just weird shit with people. And Vince is pretty fucking weird, which we've always kind of known. And if you're expecting Vince to be normal, boy, do I have some shit to tell you about professional wrestling. Here's the way I look at it. Hey, Ed, the dude is currently 76 years old. Mm-hmm. With this, He is a grandfather having this shit thrown at him. And, and like you mentioned, as long time, lifelong, as we always say, wrestling fans, uh, our knowledge of, of Vince McMahon does go pretty deep. Neither of us know the man personally, 
but we delve into to tons and tons of stuff. We even referenced that infamous Playboy interview that he did where he talked oh. about his upbringing and he, he candidly talked about cheating on Linda back then. And that came about when I was in college. And as we always age on our, ourselves on the show, unfortunately, I'm coming up on my 20 year college anniversary at the end of this year <laughs> as sad as it is so it's been a long time but yeah he's 76 years old i know these specific allegations as you mentioned go back like the last 16 years but the one that that opened this whole thing up was a more recent one this 70 mid-70s guy was having a, a full-blown affair with with a woman in our age at this point 30 years uh, he's 30 years her senior it, it's just nuts it, it's obviously you know hideous behavior for somebody like this with with somebody in his position as well which which as we know stephanie mcmahon became the official ceo i think they called her of the wwe during this he stepped down with that title but they but did he's still running everything yeah they did say that he's still in charge of creative and and, and who knows what's going to happen from this i mean again this is a little different than say something like harvey weinstein i mean it did seem like this was consensual i mean even that one that you mentioned where he quote unquote coerced her into giving him oral sex i mean that's still something that as nasty as it is it seems like she you know agreed you know to 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 go ahead and do that initially there so uh, again she was paid significantly for doing like it's just it's just fuckery that people do when they own things like (laughs) you know what i mean like it's not like Vince is a swinger. He's just like a fucking, he runs the show. Yeah, the, so, the genetic jackhammer. Remember yeah, that whole well, thing? I mean, yeah, unfortunately. He yeah. believes his own hype and he's just this like high intensity alpha male billionaire goof. at this point, goof, that, you know, the story came out following the June 17th appearance on SmackDown because, of course, he did want to just get right there in the public and show himself. And that was getting Which, a lot of press. Which was gross. That's gross. He, you know, for those gross. that don't know, he came out on the SmackDown the week this broke live on Fox on on a Friday. He opened the show. Probably got a lot more eyes on that week SmackDown than probably would typically definitely yeah be watching. And he just came out and pretty much just said, "Let's put on a show, business as usual." And then there's reports though that he came to the back and just said, "Fuck them all." Or something yeah. Like that. yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Like, does that surprise you if that's true? No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, this guy, again, it's a it's a power thing, man. This dude's been in control of this entire industry for decades. Uh, again, billionaire status. It, it's it's a power power thing, a power move. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention to you, we, we spoke about this off air regarding this whole scandal, if, if you want to call it that situation, if you will. Uh, on Chris Jericho, he was he was on this podcast uh, called True Geordie, True Geordie podcast, and they asked him about his thoughts on the McMahon situation and having a, an affair with a, a formal paralegal with the company before paying her three million to keep quiet. And the thing that's interesting about it, more than anything, is the fact that quite obviously, no WWE employee or professional wrestler involved with WWE has really said anything about this as a whole. From as much as we follow on wrestling media, you know, stuff on social media and everything you and I read our news on, hey, Ed, nobody really has talked too much about this. Uh, you know, I know that Bubba, uh, or not Bubba, um, why am I brain farting from 3D? Hey, you know, help me out here. 
Oh, Bubba Ray Dudley? Bubba Ray Dudley. Their their podcast that they have on Sirius, like Tommy Dreamer. I didn't hear yeah. their comments, I've... but they talked a little. There's There's been some people's my point, but but Jericho was an interesting one. And this was Jericho's quote, and then you could give me your thoughts on it. Uh, this is regarding, like I mentioned, Vince McMahon having an affair with a former paralegal and keeping her quiet with the $3 million. So he said, quote, not really. I mean, there is a surprise in any industry when it happens. And that was a question he's saying. I mean, is there a surprise in any any industry when it happens? And that's kind of what you were asking me, hey, Ed, like, are you surprised the Jay? And of course, no. And he says, and really, when you look at it, it's, it's not illegal. He had an affair, paid the lady off to not say anything and moved on. People want to jump on it, but there's still always an undertone of it's wrestling. If you look, that story came out with a bang, and then you really haven't heard anything about it since. If this was, you know, Hollywood with Harvey Weinstein, that sort of thing. But the difference between that was he was holding women back from getting gigs. Harvey Weinstein, either bang me or you don't get the starring role. This has never been said in Vince's thing. There was a mutual acknowledgement of this affair, and then he paid the lady to say nothing, and she took the money. So, you know, I really know Vince well, and it sucks that it happened, and it sucks that he did it. But is anything really going to happen from it? I really don't think so. I think it'll come and go once again. Is it morally right? Absolutely not. Is it illegal? No. Is it something that's going to get him in real trouble? I don't think so because once again, unfortunately, oh, it's just Vince McMahon. It's just wrestling. Of course, he's going to do that. So those things come and go and they happen and it's too bad, but I really think it doesn't really matter in the long run. Six months from now, I'll either be right or I'll be wrong. Hey, yeah, ball in your court. What do you think about Jericho's comments and kind of surmise this Vince McMahon fucking yeah i mean that's pretty spot on i'm not gonna lie like that's what i think do i think that that's cool that that's the way it is no but it is like he's just it's a story about him being a gross old fuck that's what it is like it's not again he didn't rape there's there's no rape this isn't even a a situation with the the quarterback that's in trouble it's it's not any rape charges or, or anything like that. Again, like you you said, that's the key word in this story is gross completely. But like Jericho mentioned, what, what is truly illegal in this situation? And, and we know uh, we, we've talked about Vince's pit bull of a lawyer, McDevitt, from oh, Pittsburgh yeah. that yeah. Uh, is going to cover this. So, yeah, I, I, I have to have to agree with Jericho myself. I just don't – I think it's gross. I think it's horrible. I quite obviously – don't condone, condone this behavior whatsoever. However, I don't see him getting in any sort of legal trouble, uh, let alone, you know, having to step down eventually from like running the WWE because that's what everybody's kind of hoping to as wrestling fans, just because he's had his grasp on the WWE for all these decades. Like, can it finally happen where he just, no matter what he does, he has to be forced out? That's not going to happen. No, because he still has an arrangement to have more, shares of that company than anybody um that's just how it is right now like even i guarantee you he doesn't own any less stock even if his name's different even if his title's different it doesn't matter um it's he's just gonna ride out the storm and that's pretty much it i would think like you know He's not a character on television, hasn't been for years at this point, other than like periodically. Um, the business isn't slowing down any. They have so many like, they don't, people don't even understand. Like when they complain about WWE and say like how bad the TV is and everything. And, and the bottom line is for them, it doesn't even matter anymore because they have like paid television contracts and things that pay them very well. 
and other revenue streams so it doesn't fucking matter. They've almost given up on the constant touring business now, other than pay-per-views, Raws, SmackDowns, and occasional like house show runs. I was going to say, yeah, random live shows. They call them Because they don't... Because they're not on the run on the road like they used to be after COVID, still, um, well, and it doesn't matter. As the SI.com reference article mentions, uh, summarizing it on screen and off, Vince's recent appearances on television were a reminder that WWE begins and ends with McMahon as the Alpha and Omega. It is his way of showing that enough of the fan base will not turn off the show because he is running it, nor will talent leave simply because he is the one in charge. McMahon even introduced John Cena's big return for his 20th anniversary uh, to Raw on June 27th. Another reminder that he is the boss. I hate you. Well, here we go. Let's move on to something here, the Jay. This is going to be interesting. It's probably going to be the same exact way I feel about it, but the Pittsburgh Steelers no longer will be playing at Heinz Field. Uh, even though they're not moving stadiums, they're going to play at Acrisure Stadium. Now, because it's the naming rights have changed. Uh, so it's apparently a global insurance broker. Uh, the naming rights to an indoor arena uh, being constructed near Palm Springs, California as well. Uh, so that's fucking stupid. And, you know, it's definitely going to be something where people just keep calling it Heinz Field anyway. Yeah, I'm 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 throwing my soapbox in the closet. Hey, I'm not jumping on it again. The Jay has been on way too many rants here on our hundred plus episodes of the What's World podcast from week out, week in and week out about corporate America. But that's what this is, you know. As you always say, we were just talking about a, a different topic last week, but so many things come down to it. What what were you yelling last week? Money, 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 money. Cue the million dollar mm-hmm. man. You know, they're they're the highest bidder, whatever their name is. That's what it's going to be named. It's it's stupid, but at the end of the day, and I know you you will probably agree with me when I say this. Hey Ed, I'm not losing sleep over it. I mean, whatever. It's a stadium's name. At the end of the day, I got more important things in my life. It's just a stupid thing. But then you just you know four or five years from now, you just get used to it. But but like you said, I mean, it's going to be a while that I actually call it Accusure. That might take some time. It's definitely going to be Heinz Field in my heart. I know I already saw a quote from Big Ben talking about it. They got him you know quoted. And, He's like, you know, it's always going to be Heinz Field to me. I mean, that's that's where yeah. he retired anyway, so I, I get it. But, you know, it, interesting, goofy, big big changes like this. I mean, you know how Yinzers here in Pittsburgh get. Uh, people are up in arms about it, but again, it's, 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 the, it's the name of a stadium at the end of the day. They're rioting in the streets currently as we talk here about this decision. Yeah, and Art, um, Art Rooney, he already said that it's pretty – they're already in the process of changing everything – and uh, everything should be ready for the 2022 season. It's as crazy as it is. Hey, Ed, we're, we're going in the fifties. It's like the low sixties as we talk some days till the opening kickoff for the NFL season. It's yeah. crazy how fast everything goes, man. This, we, we always say, dude, the summer has just been flying. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It considering where we're at right now, but uh, you know, speaking of that, the J uh, it being July and uh, for, movie nerds like us uh that means the criterion and arrow 50 percent off sale and i know that me and you both recently had the opportunity to invest in that a little bit uh because i picked up a fucking blu-ray copy that they put out of true romance and i picked up a blu-ray of creep show too which i actually needed um but 
you know, I know you got a couple things too. Uh, would you end up grabbing again? I know one thing you definitely grabbed. Well, it, it's funny because you were we were talking about it on the show, the the second summer vacation special that that aired last week of the What's Roll podcast, and, and you mentioned how the Criterion sale was going on, and you mentioned to anybody listening to our audience to to you know go check it out. There's some really good deals because Arrow is actually doing one as well. And so it just might have put it in my head, hey, Ed, because I had no, you know, uh, intent to, to go pick up some some films like like we've been talking about. I've been trying to, to save some money and, and declutter, it, it, let alone keep buying hard good copies luck. of things. But good luck with we always, you know, again, that's ad nauseum. We talk about the the collector's mind and that's just what I own. I, I am a collector at heart and it's just my nature. So with you throwing that in my head, I both not only visited Barnes and Noble brick and mortar in person and got a few pickups that I'll that I'll throw at you. But I also ended up on the back end ordering a few online. So oh, the Jays, okay. yeah, the Jays pickup for the summer sale of Criterion slash Arrow at the brick and mortar in hand. I got the uh, version of uh, RoboCop from Arrow. Nice. I got Creepshow two. I know you got okay. that as well. Yep. And then I got the American Werewolf in London, like the large collection. That's the one I was on the fence, like not on like I didn't want it, but like I was already buying the other shit. So I wasn't trying to spend more money. But other than that, yeah, that would have been the next thing that I would have grabbed for sure. Yeah, because the main thing for that more than anything, I mean, I've that's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Watched it a million times. That's typically my go-to in the 31 days that we covered during Halloween season. Like yeah. maybe even to start the season with, I could just live in that world for like the hour and a half, hour and 40 minute runtime, whatever. But with the special features on there, that's what I'm going to dig into. Yeah. That's like Dude, the whole reason. Here's a, here's a stupid question. I don't know if you, did you really like read over the special features on that? Because I didn't. I, I did, you know, offhand, I wouldn't be able to remember them. I mean, I could pull them up, but they were extensive. Because I was wondering if they have this one, if they have the American Werewolf in London documentary. I don't know if you remember years and years and years ago at Horror Hound Pittsburgh. They oh, yeah, man. We, we, yeah, we went and we, we went to the uh, the John Landis, you know, the whole thing. That yeah. was great. So I was wondering if that documentary is on there, because I probably haven't seen that in a really long time. So yeah, I think, that might I be, think it is. Um, you know, it would I make sense. The power of the interwebs. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling it go. up. Yeah, thirty third because it is the thirty fifth anniversary uh, restored Jesus. collection. Yeah, so it's just again, it's super super extensive. How how many times have you bought that movie in your life? You think? I mean, you know, definitely had a DVD, definitely had a Blu-ray. This is probably my third hard copy buy of the same <laughs> film. Go. Like, yep. talk about mind of a collector. Like, people that don't understand are like, you're, you're an idiot. You know, talk about wasting money. Uh, but, yeah, so there's uh, the audio commentary, of course, uh, David Knott and Griffin Dunn. Uh, but Where okay. the Moon, there you go, written and hosted by Paul Davis. It is on yes. there. Uh, I That's Walked awesome. with a Werewolf, which is, uh, you know, all about Rick Baker's special effects, Making That's an cool. American Werewolf in London, an interview with John Landis. Uh, more on Rick Baker and uh, one called Casting of the Hand and some outtakes. But yeah, that, that documentary was awesome. So good call there. Uh, glad we looked that up. And uh, yeah, just to round out the criteria on pickups, hey, Ed, my online purchases, uh, the first ones I got brick and mortar from Arrow. This one I dipped into the Criterion. I got uh, Raging Bull, which isn't even out yet. It's a pre-order for the 4K Ultra HD Criterion. I nah, got that for sick. less than 25 bucks because of this half-off sale. I got That's the great. original Guillermo del Toro trilogy with like okay. Cronus, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, there's one other thing on there. 
And then, you know me, dude, I have like a thing with, with Native American culture and stuff. And I, I ended up getting the Terrence Malick flick, uh, New World. Hmm. If you remember that. It doesn't ring a bell. I don't know when, it, what year is it from? Um, let's see again, power of the interwebs. Yeah. Cause it's, uh, I'm brain farting this, this week. Bear with us people. Cause I'm just all over the place. Um, why am I brain farting on the actor? Cause it was with, uh, he was in heat. Um, trying to think Colin Farrell is the star, but Christian Bale's in it. Christopher Plummer, of course, Pocahontas is played by an actual native American actress, Corinne Ka. Kilcher, which I butchered. Uh, it's from 2005. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's very possible. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, so, and I remember like, really it enjoying it because, yeah, it's Terrence Malick. It's like the whole, uh, you know, Pocahontas story and everything else with Jamestown, Virginia and everything. So, those, those were the pickups, though. Hey, you know, so, yeah, if you're still listening, it's still going on. It's always a summer thing. Every six months, uh, big Criterion slash Arrow sale, half off some really great hard copy titles for you uh, film nerds. Fellow film nerds, I'll say, uh, like Hey Ed and the J. Uh, there's some really good deals out there, some really cool flicks. Are you going to be grabbing anything else before the month? I'm is done, over? Hey Ed. I'm tapping out. <laughs> I told Katie, sure? I, the, the online order, I gave myself a $100 budget and it was at 99 And then with taxes, it was like 106 you know? Which, it's like, uh, fuck my it. wife's cool. Yeah, she don't care. But yeah, that was it, man. I mean, six six big titles, uh, almost 200 bucks, even with the half off. But I'm happy I, I did it, man. It's, it's been a while. We talk about retail therapy all the time on the show. Uh, it's just it's just fun, nerdy shit that is, again, collector-minded goofs. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to dipping Dude, into all these classic titles and especially the special features. I've, that's generally when I go nuts on that shit, when it's 50% off. Yeah, and that's, like, the, that's the problem that gets you going. Well, yeah, that's true. Because then you'll find yourself buying shit at regular price. And you're like, whoo, like... Like, dude, there's a... Remember the movie Thriller? A Cruel Picture with Christina Lundberg, by the way. So friend Runk. Vin- shout out to Runk. He has a tattoo of that yes. film on his arm. And Love fucking... They literally just put out, like, a 4K edition of it. But it's, like, 70 bucks for Jeez. one movie. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I mean, it's just... Is that, dude, like, a limited like, release or something? It Yeah, it is, yeah. but it's still, like... I mean, We talk about that hype game, Hale. They try to... Everything tries to create hype nowadays. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does, but, you know, I don't know. I could see myself going back and maybe grabbing a couple more things because I only picked up a couple, so we'll see what, what I can find. They generally, like, it where I go shopping for these, it's way different because fucking... Like, they just run out of stock. And then, like, it's so, like, as the month goes on, there's just less and less available. Right. What? So you you picked up Creepshow 2. Um, I know you routed them off, but did you, you only got two or three? Yeah, I got Creepshow 2 and I got True Romance. Which oh, that's is right. Like True Romance. Big ass fucking yeah, I got, three disc set. I got that not ridiculously long ago on Blu-ray. See, and that's what happens, too. You know, you get these random things and then you get like a sale super one that I missed. Cause I got like the bare bones Blu-ray, but that's what happens again. Collector life. Yeah. It's like, dude, that's the thing. I, pro- I probably, I think I even have true romance on Blu-ray, but I yeah, just wanted that one. 
<laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, dude, we do it all the time. I, I had, remember, uh, yeah, because we talked about it, so I know you know this film, uh, the film Toy Soldiers with Sean Astin. Dude, I love that fucking Dude, it's movie. great. And we, we were, I think, once again, the podcast puts things in, in even my head, like co-hosting this fucker. And so I, I was like, dude, I haven't seen that in forever. I just want it in the collection, like we talk about. Uh, so I'm shopping on Amazon and, and you know how it is. I don't know if you do this, but I will, I'll put shit in my cart. Sometimes I'll take the stuff out. Sometimes I'll eventually pull the trigger and, and purchase it. That's how like I do my Amazon shopping a lot. Yeah. And I had, I had it in my cart and I was putting the, the movies, like we were just talking about the, the criterions I actually picked up into my collection and filter and everything. And I saw Toy <laughs> Soldiers on Blu-ray. I already had it. <laughs> I didn't even remember. So Jesus. I went, luckily I didn't pull the sh- trigger. I took it out of the cart. But well, yeah, how that much just shows was it? you, man. Because I kind of need that it's, one. <laughs> it's like 25 bucks or something. It wasn't anything yeah. crazy. I'll seriously grab that fucking 100% because I need yeah. that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, like, I probably watched that, like, I don't know, like six months to a year ago, just randomly caught it on something. But it was like, dude, that movie is fucking super underrated. I'll be honest. Yep. I still still haven't uh, put it in. So, again, talking out loud, it might be my my watch this week, you know. Oh, and uh, something else cool to mention while we're on the topics of like movies and Blu-ray and shit. Uh, George Romero's uh, Amusement Park is getting a release on Blu-ray. Uh, it's apparently coming from the Romero like uh, Foundation. Uh, yeah, because they're know. actually doing the release with Shutter. Like it's yes, it's, it's promoted as as you know from Shutter. So it's pretty cool. And it's a, we talked about it. We've reviewed it here on the show in the past. 60-minute film originally made for TV, sadly never made it to television. The PSA sort of disappeared. However, in 2019, Romero's uh, widow, Suzanne, announced that Shudder planned on releasing the film remastered and more, which they did. Uh, That's how I've seen it several times at this point. Uh, It stars Lincoln Mazel, who is probably best known from being in Romero's Martin. And uh, it's pretty creepy in general. But it's coming out on on Blu-ray uh, December or September thirteenth uh, from Shutter. Uh, I'm definitely buying that because yep. you know got to have every. That's the only Romero movie I don't really have, like other than just like other random things that aren't features. But you know that's how it goes. So got to pick that up as well. Uh, and plus two, I don't know if you've seen this or not. The Jay, did you see that? Um, Somebody's been putting out like VHS tapes in accordance to like the Joe Bob shows with Shutter and Last Drive in fucking cover art and shit like that. It's kind of cool. Oh, nice. No, I didn't catch that. Yeah, they're. They, I'm pretty sure they sell out quick, but it's still fucking cool that they do it. Yeah, speaking not not to be random on the on the show, but it's something you sent me. Just completely speaking of that was the announcement of the Mattel figures with No Holds Barred that come in the VHS tape. Dude, I want that shit so bad. That even got me. You always told me not to pull the trigger. There's certain ones I'm like, man, because I I, I talk about on the show, I have my, you know, speaking of being a collector and a pop culture nerd, I have my two different areas of my house that are my quote unquote pop culture centers with like figures and all my books and magazines and and film collection and all that. And I kind of like set things up. So like there's little things like that that I, try to sprinkle in, but I definitely don't want to open that can of worms like we talk about, but that is ridiculous. Yeah, it's not going to be easy to get. That's the other thing. Because it's a Comic-Con release. You never know. Like, I've had no problem getting Comic-Con releases in the past, but they've been done differently, like, almost every time. 
like they used to go through another alternate company that off the top of my head, I can't remember. That's when I got, uh, I don't know if I've ever shown it to you or not, the, uh, the Shockmaster. I think I've seen, yeah, I think you showed me that because that's just great. Uh, he's like upside down in the fucking package, like falling through the wall, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did a, a Dr. Isaac Yankum, but that one, I believe, was in Toys R Us at some point. That's how I got it. Um, and there was, and I didn't get this one, but my buddy Jeremy did, uh, our buddy Jeremy, I should say the Slim Jim Macho Man, like actual Slim Jim, like I'll have to have him send a picture of it to you because it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. It's amazing. I'm kind of mad. I missed out on that one. Well, as we mentioned, just bringing it up. For those listening that might not have a clue what the hell we're talking about, for the first time ever, you can get the in-ring and relive the -the over-the-top action with no-holds-barred figures. Mattel has made this two-pack of super-realistic WWE figures that features the undeniable Hulk Hogan as Rip and Tom Tiny Lister as the human wrecking machine Zeus in a super-nostalgic VHS-themed case. Um, Your guess, hey, Ed, on what these are going to retail for. That's the thing, too. 50 bucks yeah. plus shipping. And then it's just like your hands guess. Oh, wait, no, they're fucking ultimates. So they're probably going to be like, it'll probably be like 70, maybe 75. And did you see the, uh, the, the rip, the shirt rips? Like they yes. put it back together. It, yep. That's ridiculous. I just saw it yep. in this picture. Dude, they, they do some really cool shit. Like, I mean, you can go completely insane with it, but like, as you know, like, the wrestling figure, just toys in general right now are fucking cool. Like they do really cool shit. And it's sadly, it's all uh, pretty much aimed at our generation. Yeah. We said we, we grew up as the generation behind baby boomers and you know, the, the, the income, the extra income is there. You know, if you're a fortunate person like, like you and I and, and work hard and stuff to, you know, spend money on nostalgic nerdy shit. And that's, that's where they get you. Yeah, it just it's totally aimed at us at this point. So it's you know they can easily snake you out of a shitload of money if you're not careful. Uh, one more thing here before we take our very first commercial break. Uh, this was kind of interesting. So John Morant, uh, NBA kind of like a phenom, second year player, says he would have cooked Michael Jordan on the court. So the Memphis Grizzlies, according to this uh, Yahoo Sports article. Uh, Our confident bunch just asked the Golden State Warriors, the NBA champions arguably got their toughest playoff test from a Grizzlies team that showed zero back down or deference uh, during their second round series back in May. None, of course, is more confident than John Morant. Take, for instance, his comments on Bleacher Report Taylor Rooks on Sunday when asked about what he would uh, say in a hypothetical conversation with Michael Jordan. Morant said that he would thank the NBA icon for inspiring a generation of basketball players. Uh, also, he would have cooked them on the court. Uh, I wish I would have played in his generation, Morant said. I would like to play against him. I would have cooked him too. Nobody got more confidence than 12, which is obviously John ja Morant's number. Uh, but he said, I'm never going to go and say nobody's going to beat me one-on-one or anything. Uh, he said, I don't care what it is, what sport it is, soccer, what's the best player in soccer. Come on, we could play. So would Morant have cooked Jordan? Doubtful. Yeah, that's the way I would put it, too. But still, Morant's a nice fucking player. He's a fucking professional. And, you know, that's that's dudes fucking, they have to say shit like that to be who they are. Yeah, because he believes it. 
he believes his hype. We were talking about Vince McMahon and, you know, <laughs> the genetic jackhammer. Like it's the yep. same, same type of thing as that, that Uber confidence, but I hate it too, because it's, it's almost like a cock out cop out in a way. I, I, I see where he's coming from. It seems like these comments were just having that at, you know, that attitude of just having that, the, the high level confidence that we're describing. However, it, it's something that is, is, and can never be proven or tested. So well, it's like, you know, you get people talking and everything, but you're never going to see Michael Jordan in his prime against Jay Moran. Yeah, or, but, sorry, but, ja. it, but at the same time, he says shit like I would have cooked him on the court. But then I immediately go to, so how would you have cooked him? Because you have zero championships. He has six. So you're way behind well, there. It, <laughs> he has how many like, scoring you titles? You here? have none. You have <laughs> He has how many MVPs? You have none. Um, he's done a lot of shit. You've done very little. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying you wouldn't fucking, you know, make them look goofy on the court at times playing defense and shit like that. Don't get me wrong. Like, because John Morant's a nice player. But how you really, like, what are you really saying? Other than just, that's like an attention grabber and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and that's what it is. I, I say all the time, hey, and you know me. Uh, that's why I love sports. I, I've said this on the show. You can be the worst team ever, the biggest underdogs. That's what's great about it. But like the great Chris Berman always said, that is why they play the game. If if you're the underdog and you beat the best team ever, a la the, the Miracle on Ice, you know, the U.S. hockey team beating the undefeatable Russians back in the day and things like that. That's what makes sports because you could prove it in the sport. But then this turns that exact thing just into more talk, you know, stuff that can't be proven, stuff that's subjective, stuff that's just this dude's uber confidence coming out on a you know podcast or radio show. And, and it's an interesting thought. It starts conversations. You know, that's that's cool. Like, we always talked about that. Like, it's fun to debate our friends that are all sports lovers. Like, we've been in those yeah. conversations. Like, we have friends that, shout out to AJ, love the fucking Cowboys and things. And, and we could have fun with it. But when it gets taken overboard and th- those things just keep going on and on and on and stuff like that, it's just like, dude, at the end of the day, it's, it's exactly that. It's just another thing that is subjective and opinion-based. We'll, we'll never, you know, see this happen. So... You know, he could talk all the shit he wants. So, but yeah, hey, you know, I, I it, gave these shout outs. Hey, Ed, just real quick, because I know you remember our friend Leron that we grew up with. Uh, okay. Shout out to Leron Josie. But he said a okay. funny thing about this, and th- this was his opinion uh, from his Facebook page. He said 88 and 91 Jordan would shut John Morant down. 94, uh, 95 Jordan would get cooked, LOL. <laughs> so. And I don't even yeah, know about that. Yeah. I don't know, but like 96 Jordan wouldn't have, 97 Jordan wouldn't have. Like, right. It's just, it's funny. Again, it starts conversations, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, it is it is fun. But like, again, it's always, you're asking for a fight that you're never going to get. Because right. Jordan's exactly. coming yep. back. So it is what it is. But still fun to talk about nonetheless. But we have a lot of stuff that is fun to talk about. So we are going to take our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be talking about Stranger Things Season 4. So stick around for that and more, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. What's Real, everybody? It's your boy, The J from the What's Real Podcast. Here throwing out there the opportunity to advertise here on the Dub R question mark. That's right. You, yourself, whatever you're trying to sell on the interwebs or anywhere or anything, we're whores. We'll help you put it out there. Just contact us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows, the Pod Upon Pods today, and team up with Hate Yelp, The J, and 
and the wizard behind the boards for some sick 16K advertising. Just hit us up and we'll make a deal. Join us next week for episode 123 of the What's Real podcast, where Hay and the J are going to take a look at the brand new A&E biography on Goldberg. Also, we're going to check out the first two episodes of the brand new A&E show, WWE Rivals. Also on Thursday Night Prime, it's another Cynthia Rothrock joint from 1996, Sworn to Justice. Hi, this is Tennessee James with the What's Real Podcast, talking about Goose or Goose for episode 123, where the guys talk about crazy things like Indians scamming Russians, Tara Mack, a senator doing twerking, and deadly snails. All that and much more next week on episode 123 of the What's Real Podcast. And we're back, and it is time to get into Stranger Things Season 4. So if you guys are listening, there are going to be some spoilers on here. So if you haven't watched the season, you're definitely going to want to hold out. But if you've watched the season, stick around, because obviously that's what this is for. So here we go. This is episode 26 overall. This is the first episode of the season. It's called Chapter 1, The Hellfire Club, directed by the Duffer Brothers, Uh, In a flashback to 1979, Dr. Brenner is experimenting, possessing supernatural abilities until a mysterious incident kills all of the children except 11. In 1986, eight months after the events in Starcourt Mall, uh, Joyce, Will, Jonathan, and 11 have moved to California where 11 struggles with the loss of her powers and is routinely bullied by the other students. Joyce receives a porcelain doll in the mail, seemingly from Russia and finds a hidden note that Hopper is alive. In Hawkins, Mike and Dustin have joined their high school club's Hellfire Club, a Dungeons & Dragons club led by the eccentric Eddie Munson. As a result, they miss seeing Lucas win the basketball team's championship game. Max, who has broken up with Lucas, struggles to grieve Billy's death from the previous season. Uh, Chrissy Cunningham, a student on the cheerleading team, is haunted by visions of her family and a chiming grandfather clock. Uh, While buying drugs from Eddie, Chrissy is possessed and killed by a sentient humanoid creature from her visions. So pretty good way to set up the opening of the season. Uh, Give me an idea of what's going on with everybody real quick. Uh, Introducing uh, the Eddie Munson character who becomes quite possibly the most important character of the entire season. Um, But I immediately, the two things that stuck out to me in this one, the J, I didn't really care for and this is going to be you know consistent with me for a while here through this review i didn't care too much for the hopper angle in russia and uh the whole lucas being on the basketball team thing too like didn't quite check out either but it wasn't a big deal but it was just immediately something that was like eh, i don't know yeah because so at the outset hey ed because we we mentioned it when we were bringing this up, because we, we did talk about this a bit on that elusive, which we're doing now, episode 122 of the What's Real podcast that disappeared into the ether and went into our summer vacation and everything. We, we did talk about what was basically considered season A, I guess, of season four. Yeah. Because they, they brought out the first, uh, what was it, seven episodes and then eight and nine. Weirdly, you know, they're just going off the beaten path with how they're setting up, you know, these streaming shows and with Stranger Things being being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, 
most popular streaming show, uh, especially specifically on Netflix, kind of making up their own rules where the final two episodes, which, which of course we'll get into down the road, but I'm just saying at the outset here uh, of what we would call season B, were an hour and a half was episode eight. And then the final episode was two and a half hours. So they did it very yep. different. And like my, movie length. Yeah. And in my, and my point is we talked about the, um, the ones leading into that, that final two, the really long ones. Uh, so it's cool that everything happens for a reason. We're able to just cover the whole season because we mentioned we're two huge stranger things fans. And because of the pandemic and where we started the podcast season three to season four was over two years before coming out so i had to rewatch i had to rewatch the end of season three just to get myself uh in the in the mindset it was it was perfect because it did get me pumped up and and like you said just the the initial premise you broke it down well as always but in a reiteration set eight months after the events of the third season with this being uh split into these different plot lines so to your point it's kind of like if there's a plot line as a fan and viewer that you're not completely into it is going to kind of throw things off for the season and, and we'll put our thoughts into all the threads and plot lines and everything. And, and I'm with you. There's some, some things that I'll shout out that, that I wasn't big on and others that I really loved, but that's kind of the breakdown uh, of the, the, the season four of stranger things in a nutshell is uh, you know, when it takes place and how they plot lined everything. Yep. And next up was the second episode. This is chapter two Vecna's curse again, directed by the Duffer brothers. Uh, Hopper has survived the explosion underneath Starcourt Mall, was but, but was captured by Soviet soldiers and sent to a prison camp in Kamachka. Uh, Joyce and Murray call the phone number on the note she was sent and speak to Dmitry Antonov, a prison guard that Hopper has bribed. Antonov uh, has them deliver a $40,000 ransom to his contact in Alaska. Mike flies to California to visit Eleven, where he and Will witness her being bullied by her classmate, Angela. Eleven eventually retaliates by striking Angela in the face with a roller skate. Uh, Max tells Dustin she saw Eddie run away the night that Chrissy died, along with Robin. Uh, and Steve, they locate the traumatized Eddie and explain the upside down to him. Uh, Eddie and Dustin name the entity that killed Chrissy, Vecna. Uh, Nancy and her fellow student reporter Fred investigate Chrissy's death. Eddie's uncle tells uh, Nancy he believes the killer is Victor Creel, a Hawkins resident who was institutionalized after allegedly murdering his family in the 1950s, Fred is lurked into the woods by visions of a girl he accidentally killed before Vecna murders him. So, uh, again, this one starts out with the whole deal with Hopper in Russia, which I'm not digging. Um, the stuff with Joyce and Murray was pretty fun uh, throughout yeah, Murray, the season. Murray is still hilarious. Yeah, Murray's a great, great character. side character. Definitely yeah. enjoy him on the show. Um, the stuff with Mike going to California at first was pretty awkward. Um, I don't know like what they're kind of doing with that. And I don't think they know what they're kind of doing with that at that point. Um, obviously things get flashed out on the season, but it's kind of weird here. Um, the stuff with the bullied girl, uh, is kind of funny, especially when she hits her in the face with a roller skate. That's because, <laughs> yeah. because you've kind of like had enough of this girl's shit at that point. So I definitely get that. Uh, the stuff with Eddie is pretty cool. Like that's like Dustin's buddy. You can tell. Like they obviously established that pretty. Yeah, early they're starting on the to season. develop their chemistry. Yeah, as it grows. Yeah. So like they're they're pretty fun. Like it's it's just like an oddball. Like which is usually what ends up happening to Dustin 
every he gets like the oddball pairings, so it's like kind of funny what happens. Uh, I think that's the reason why everybody loves Steve from last season, being like the babysitter with him and uh, Lucas's sister for the majority of the season. So uh, chances are, if you get uh, hooked up with Dustin in the storyline like that, you're going to be like the breakout character of the season or one of them. Um, now, you know, they, they were the whole Vecna thing's fine. Like, you know, they're getting into the town lore. The character of Fred, by the way, was a complete waste of time. They just, it was somebody to bring in and kill. Um, but, you know, this one, uh, not as good as the first episode, but, you know, they're kind of setting up the season. So I'm willing to forgive something that isn't really like, you know, fucking knock your socks off good as episode two of the season. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, slowly developing everything. Again, you're getting back from, you know, it's a season that was far apart from the season before. You got to build things up and, and things like that. So I understand the pacing. And, and I was I was interested in a lot of the plot lines as we've been discussing, you know, how they were developing. Uh, myself, even into, uh, from from how you're saying it, hey, had a bit more of the Hopper uh, plot line as well in Russia. Um, I didn't shit on it as much as you. And there's a particular episode where it really builds up. But I do I do see what you were saying. There was, there was some where it was just like watching this dude in prison with the guy from game of thrones they <laughs> yeah. kind of they kind of dragged and and just another bullet point at this at this part of course with uh episode two of season four here being titled vecna's curse i i do love the dungeons and dragons lore that they use of course the demi gorgon in in previous uh seasons and then of course the main villain being dubbed vecna which you know we'll get into that as that develops such a cool uh, main villain in, in this season but you know I, I love that you know we mentioned it on the show i know you dipped into dungeons and dragons as a kid it's surprisingly anybody that knows me would think that it's it's something for my personality that's perfect for the j that i never did but i still was always interested in it i have dungeons and dragons books and different things so i know a bit about the lore uh, so I, I just think that aspect's cool and, and again just gives that the nostalgia that we were talking about earlier for the 80s vibe here you know, but but yeah, just being this this um, early on season two, they're still kind of building things up and, and kind of just putting pieces together. And, and to your point, I think that's what Fred's character, that's that's all he was for, was introducing this Victor Creel that we'll get into who that is in the next couple episodes here and his point and all this. But it was kind of just put set in the pieces uh, to build the story. Absolutely. So now we go to episode three. This is chapter three, the monster and the superhero uh, Sam Owens is visited by U.S. Uh, Army Lieutenant Colonel Jack Sullivan, who believes Eleven is responsible for Chrissy's death. Eleven is arrested for assaulting Angela, but is taken by Owens, who explains that Hawkins is in grave danger and that he has been working on a program to help bring back Eleven's powers. Eleven agrees to go with him. Joyce and Murray fly to Alaska to deliver the ransom for Hopper. Hopper bribes a fellow inmate to break his shackles using a sledgehammer. Nancy and Robin go to the library to look up information about Victor Creel and discover that Creel blamed his family's murders on a demon, which they believe to be Vecna. Jason leads the basketball team to hunt for Eddie, believing him to have killed Chrissy, but Lucas abandons them. Max recalls that Chrissy had visited the school counselor before being killed by Vecna. She steals Chrissy and Fred's files from the counselor's office and learns they suffered from PTSD symptoms similar to hers. Max hears Vecna call her name and envisions a grandfather clock. Uh, by the way, this is pretty much the point in the season where uh, Kate Bush's uh, make a deal with God is a pretty big deal in the show, uh, which is, it's the song of the year probably, and it's a song from 1985. 
So there you go with that. Um, but this is also the first episode of Stranger Things season three or season four, uh, where uh, it's not Duffer Brothers done. It's Sean Levy uh, directing. Uh, and I kind of like this one a little bit better than the second one, too. Um, the stuff with Lucas starts getting better in this episode. Uh, Max is a really good character over this season uh, as compared to ones in the past. And she's probably one of my favorite characters on the show. So she did really good. Uh, and she's like instrumental to a lot of shit going on in the season starting here. Um, again, the stuff with uh, Hopper in Russia just feels completely tacked on and just unnecessary. I, I could have just heard about these things and not seen them and been fine with it. And just featured him less in the season because it's kind of goofy. Um, but, you know, the stuff with Nancy and Robin are pretty good. Like, generally, the kids' interactions still are really, really good and kind of anchor the show. But this one was definitely up a little bit from episode two, I thought. Yeah, that's the thing. It's building up more. And, and uh, yeah, the next episode, Hey, you know, was the one where running up the hill, running up that hill is on the cassette and everything. And she escapes. So we'll get into that. But just to... Uh, make sure we're on track there for episode three here. But this is this is where they kind of introduce, as you mentioned at the outset, the the army colonel and that aspect. And that's, yep. again, all these different plot lines. This is going to lead into the 11 plot line uh, eventually in the introduction of these characters. So, uh, again, that's and, and it's a cool thing. I mean, especially being a big fan. And, and you and I are old veterans of, of crazy shit that we've watched our whole lives. So we can keep up with shit. But I know like I had friends that got lost in this, you know, that I've talked to and stuff because there yeah. is so much shit going on. And, and like yep. you mentioned, there's certain things that, that might have been expendable. Uh, you know, that was a great point to say that, that it's like, you know, if, if some characters just explaining what's happening to this thing to have to go back over there and waste a handful of minutes for certain scenes uh, that, that could have definitely been expendable. But nonetheless, like you said, this is where it was kind of starting to build up a, a bit more uh, as a series like that should going into you know, three out of nine episodes where we're getting here. So I was definitely liking where it was going. Now on to episode four. This is chapter four, Dear Billy, again directed by Sean Levy. Uh, Joyce and Murray deliver the ransom payment to Antonov's contact, Yuri, but he drugs them, uh, planning to turn them, uh, Hopper and Antonov, over to the Russians for a uh, larger profit. Hopper escapes the prison camp, but is soon recaptured. Jonathan, Mike, and Will prepare to sneak away from Wallace and Harmon, agents sent by Owens to watch them, but armed soldiers attack the house. That was a good scene. Very good scene. Uh, they escape with the help of Jonathan's friend Argyle, bringing an injured Harmon with them. Uh, by the way, Argyle is definitely one of my favorite characters. Another fun character. Two. Yeah, for definitely. those that don't know, a stoner pizza delivery boy. Yeah, you gotta have that's like a great typical 80s character. Exactly. So Surfer Boy Pizza. Uh, yeah, Surfer Boy Pizza, which is hilarious. I've seen like all kinds of shit for that already yeah, for sale online. <laughs> yeah, man, it's ridiculous. So uh, Nancy and Robin interview an imprisoned Victor Creel, who recounts his family being tormented and killed by supernatural forces. Cameo well, there, arrest- hey, yo. Yeah, by Robert fucking England. So that's interesting. Uh, kind of reminds you it had like uh, Silence of the Lambs vibes Definitely. with what they were trying to do with that. So what, that was kind of cool. Uh, and also, uh, Victor Creel was arrested for the deaths of, fa- of his families. 
Uh, Max, fearing that Vecna is about to kill her, writes letters to her friends and family and goes to the cemetery to read her letter to Billy by his gravestone. She is soon possessed by Vecna and finds herself at an altar inside his mind. Amazing scene. Uh, very good. Definitely agree there. Steve, Dustin, and Lucas learn from Nancy and Robin that playing music can break Vecna's spell. Of course, Q running up that hill, as you mentioned, the J on a cassette tape. This opens a portal through Mac where Max narrowly escapes Vecna's control. Uh, up to this point, this is definitely my favorite episode of the season. Uh, a lot of stuff going on here. This is this is kind of like the strong point to me of Stranger Things, where they can present to you like eight different storylines, like kind of rapid fire when they're all kind of building up the shit. So it's just like a really, really good fucking episode. And that's to me what this one was. Yeah, dude. I mean, you got to say classic climax to this episode where as, as you ran through, hey, Ed, Max is possessed, so she's in the upside down crazy effects. I mean, we, we spoke about that at, at times as well, going into the budget of this. And this is one of the episodes in this climax that you could see how they were spending like 40 million plus or whatever crazy yeah. number it was on an episode because the CGI and effects here with Vecna trying to, you know, keep her within her his spell and her trying to escape with the music and the friends, you know, they're at the end. She's running towards them. Such such drama, just really intense. Yeah, this was great, man. This this really had me in. I was, you know, not again, we're huge fans of this series, but this this again with with kind of seeing where things are going and all this different stuff going on, all these moving parts, this was definitely the catalyst for the J to say, okay, they got me again. Let's do this. Yeah. Thing, you know? Yep. That's, I was definitely uh, like getting, it was getting bingy to me at this right, point. Right. Exactly. For me. Yeah. Good description. Yep. So now we get in episode five, chapter five, the Nina project by Nimrod Antal. Yeah. What, what's he uh, from? His name's definitely familiar. Uh, uh, fuck. Let me see. Hold on. I'm getting yeah, this just, here. Yeah, I was just curious because I know he's Hungarian. Uh, directed a movie named Con- Oh Vacancy with Kevin uh, with Kate Beckinsale and Luke Will- uh, Wilson. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he's he done also some pretty decent eight budget eight stuff. Predators. He did. Oh, there you go. Metallica through the Never, the 3D fucking movie. Uh, guest director on Wayward Pines. I wonder if he uh, did he do um, Prey? That's coming out. I didn't see that on here, but okay. I'm just kind of going through fucking Wikipedia at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No problem. I was just curious. So you, you answered that, hey, and I appreciate it. So Anybody named R- Nimrod is going to stand Yeah, out. Nimrod Antal. But episode five. So Owens takes Eleven uh, to an abandoned ICBM silo in Nevada where he and Dr. Brenner have developed a specialized isolation tank that will allow Eleven to access memories of her time with other children at the Hawkins lab. Eleven attempts to escape and briefly regains her powers in the process, convincing her to continue with the experiment. In California, before Agent Hermit dies, he gives the boys a pen containing a phone number uh, for the Nina project that connects to a modem. Mike decides to enlist the aid of Dustin's girlfriend Susie in Salt Lake City. After Yuri's betrayal, Hopper is imprisoned along Antonov. While flying to Russia, Joyce and Murray subdue Yuri and crash land in the wilderness. Max, Lucas, Steve, and Dustin regroup with Nancy and Robin and decide to investigate the Creole house. Inside, they encounter flickering lights, which they trace to Vecna's movements in the Upside Down. Jason and his teammates locate Eddie trying to escape in a boat at Lover's Lake. Jason and Patrick swim after him in the water. Vecna kills Patrick in front of Jason and Eddie. So... Uh, this one's not bad, but definitely down further from episode four. Um, 
I, I like the stuff with Dustin's girlfriend, but I also thought, too, they, like, abandoned that way too weirdly and easily uh, this season. Um, it's really weird because Mike used to be one of my favorite characters on the show, and, like, now I'm generally annoyed when he shows up. Uh, because it, I don't know what it is, like, but it just it doesn't have the same effect on me like the other kids do. Uh, like, in the group, he just feels like an outsider at this point, kind of. Um but, you know, not a bad episode, just down a little bit from the previous one, in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely some some highlights of it. Like, once again, we got to throw out Murray because this was the one where he busted out Murray karate. My arms are like iron. My feet like yeah. spears. And that yep. whole thing, which, you know, you know, the Jay, that gets me that kind of stuff. Murray's and, great. Yeah, he is. And, and, you know, just a lot of great characters. I, I, speaking of which, really cool in this one, they go back to, as you mentioned, uh, Dustin's girlfriend, Susie. Of course, uh, you know, cue the never-ending story and that yeah. song and everything yep. else. So, yeah, definitely still some highlights, but I'm with you. This this was another one, as you're going to have with, with the series with, again, all these varying moving parts and everything else that we're covering. You're going to have certain episodes that are going to kind of dip down, you know, other ones that, that dip up. And I think this went, especially from having to come after that ridiculous uh, chapter four that we just covered in, in that yeah. whole thing with that climax, I think it was down for, you know, just inevitable for a little bit of a dip, but still, still, like we said, a, a lot of good parts. And, and I was still very interested uh, to see where the story is headed. Now we go to episode six, chapter six, the dive, another one by Nimrod Antal, uh, 11, uh, relives memories of befriending a lab orderly who warns her not to trust Brenner. She also recalls being ostracized by other test subjects, leading her to believe she was responsible for the lab massacre. Uh, Susie helps Mike's group locate Nina's project coordinates. Hopper and the other inmates are given a large feast, which Hopper warns is to prepare them to be fed to the Demogorgon. Uh, he later manages to pickpocket a lighter, uh, recalling that the Demogorgon's weakness is fire. Uh, Joyce and Murray force Yuri to take them to a nearby town where he stores his goods and decide to have Murray pose as Yuri to infiltrate the prison. Jason galvanizes Hawkins' residence at a town hall meeting against Eddie's supposed satanic cult. Steve's group finds Eddie. Dustin notices his compass misbehaving and realizes there must be a new gate to the upside down nearby. They trace the gate to Lover's Lake, where Steve dives down to inspect it before being yanked into the upside down by a tendril and swarmed by bat-like creatures. Nancy, Robin, and Eddie dive down after him. This one, up to this point, was my favorite episode of the season. This one was a lot of fun. This is kind of like exactly what you expect out of them. So it's, you know, it's what you want out of the show, I think, at this point. Yeah, it was it was really good. Very entertaining, again, with Joyce and Murray dealing with Yuri and everything. Uh, that, that was kind of bringing up, like we were kind of alluding to earlier, kind of bringing up the the scenes that, that take place in the plot line in Russia and, and things like that. And then that led into a great kind of bit of nostalgia here with the the town hall meeting and kind of the parallel with Dungeons and Dragons taking such a big place within the Stranger Things world of like how that was in the 80s, you know, for those of us that lived yeah, through it. The, where, sat the satanic panic and all that shit. Yeah, satanic panic where, where parents basically, uh, you know, demonized Dungeons and Dragons, which is just like a nerdy game using your imagination to be Satan worshiping. Uh, and they, you know, they kind of used that for, for that plot device, which, which was cool and a really good scene. And of course that led to the whole lake 
thing and him diving down in the water. I love water scenes in movies just to throw that little tidbit out there. And I just thought this was really cool that he you know ends up getting sucked down the upside down. Of course, his brave friends just going after him. And like you mentioned, this is the introduction of these bat-like creatures that we'll be talking about again. Those are pretty cool too. Dude, this is another one, by the way, like you were saying, where like the uh, the effects and everything. That's like, what I mean. Like, yeah, the bat-like creatures it, are crazy. Dude, it like there was some cool shit like in this one. That's I just really liked what they were going with on yeah, this like, one. Yeah, like again, and when it, he's underwater and goes into like the glowing upside yeah, down, everything's just really cool effects. Well, dude, it's it's also too like they trying to explain like it gets to the point with them too where like they kind of get into like Spielberg category, but then they quickly kind of like exit out of it because it's not Spielberg. Right. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like yeah, it kind of gets it, more it hardcore works. than a Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. Like they're they're definitely like uh what do you call it? Uh, inspired by but clearly not trying to do the same kind of shit. So like it's cool. Speaking of which, uh, that's why I, I love how Stephen King loves this series as well. I don't know if you've seen yeah, it on Twitter. I, I did notice because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of Stephen King vibes throughout this too with everything. Yeah, well it's just, you know, at this point, like, you know. There's things that are like iconic in the world, like of horror. So if you're going to make the shit, it's going to be inspired. Like, you know, if you do something with werewolves, it's only going to be inspired by a handful of things. You know what I mean? Like, it's only going to be American Werewolf in London, the howling, like certain, you know, monumental fucking werewolf movies. Like, it's not going to be something from like, Unless it's Wolfman, it's not going to be some random werewolf movie from 1962. Yeah, if you're going to be inspired, be inspired by the best. Yeah, I mean, that's just how a lot of that shit works. So, but moving along here, I'm, now I'm lost. because Chapter of 7, hey, you know, the massacre Chapter of Hawkins Lab. Back okay. to the Duffer Brothers closing out the season with the last three Yes. Episodes. So Joyce Murray and Yuri enter Kamachka and witness Hopper and his fellow prisoners fighting the Demogorgon. Hopper holds the creatures back with a flaming spear while Murray and Joyce subdue the guards and open the prison doors, allowing Hopper and Antonov to escape. Joyce and Hopper reunite. Dustin, Lucas, and Erica theorize that Vecna has spawned a gate at the site of each murder, which they communicate to Steve's group in the Upside Down. Both parties reunite inside Eddie's trailer at the gate where Chrissy died. Robin and Eddie safely exit, but Vecna possesses Nancy. She discovers that he is Victor Creel's son, Henry, who killed his mother and sister with his psychokinetic powers before falling into a coma and being placed in Brenner's care. Henry became subject 001 in Brenner's attempt to replicate his powers and later the orderly that Eleven befriended. Uh, Eleven finally remembers Henry committed uh, the lab massacre and trying to kill her when when she refused to help fulfill his murderous ambitions. Eleven overpowered Henry and sent him to the Upside Down where he became Vecna. Uh, this was originally the last episode of, you know, uh, season part a, a, if you will, right. And it's one of the best episodes of Stranger Things uh, of all time, I think. Uh, really, really good shit here. Just a lot of revelations and cool shit. And, like, they they paid off some stuff for you uh, because you had to wait, what was it, basically like a month or so before you get more more new episodes, which were only two more. Well, it was um, this this dropped May twenty seventh, and then the final two, volume two, if you will, uh, began on July first. So, uh, okay, so yeah, a it wasn't too long. But but yeah, the bo- the bottom line is this is 
basically the climax of, like you said, whatever you want to call it, season four, part A, part a. volume one, as they have on Wikipedia, however you want to put it. This was, like you were saying, he had uh, basically – you, you get two season finales the way they did this as, as we'll talk about the volume two, cause it's all one season, you know, but this was kind of like, like a season finale and it had all the things that epic season finales that we're used to in the streaming days do, uh, you know, like you said, it starts off amazingly with the Russian prisoners and Hopper fighting the freaking Demogorgon. It's ripping dudes heads off and stuff. This is where my wife and I, cause we actually watched this with our kids and like, I to be like, all right guys, we're gonna have to start the, the red light, green light that we do for some things. Like it's a little <laughs> hardcore for an eight year old, but, but anyway, um, you know, fun stuff. And, and like you said, a lot of revelations, which was cool. I really liked, you know, cause, cause as many of effects as there are, as many as beloved characters as there are, obviously at the heart of any good series filmmaking, that th- sort of medium is going to be the story is the backbone to it all. Yeah. And this is where the yep. story really started to come together. And I'm like, you know, again, perfect way to put it. Hey, I had revelations where I'm like, oh, like this is really cool. The Victor Creel story finally coming into culmination with with uh, you know the son Henry being the, the orderly and and everything that went with that, and of course all these flashbacks that they were doing with Eleven in the hospital coming into fruition, where she finally realizes that they duped her. She didn't commit the the murders. Now she remembers. You know, it was Henry committing the lab massacre, and then her defeating him. And then making sense where she sent him to the up, upside down where he becomes Vecna, which, you know, again, just all came together very well. Yeah, really cool stuff. Really good way to end end that par- portion, I should say. But then there's episode eight, chapter eight, Papa. The Duffer brothers are back once again. Vecna shows Nancy a vision of the future where Hawkins is torn apart by rifts before releasing her. Nancy recalls her experience to the others and they determine Vecna needs four gates to enact his plan. Max offers to lure Vecna to the, so the others can attack him while he is distracted, believing she can hide from him uh, for a while in her happy memories of Lucas and the rest of the party. Eleven, using her powers, learns of the plan and gets Owens to uh, arrange transit to Hawkins. However, Brenner secures Owens and traps Eleven, insisting she needs to compete, complete her training. Eleven realizes that Brenner had been using her for years to try and recover Henry from the Upside Down and not to just uncover Soviet secrets, as Brenner had claimed. Uh, Sullivan and his forces arrive at the site and kill all the staff. Brenner flees with Eleven, but is shot himself. Eleven takes out Sullivan's vehicles just as Mike's group arrives. She refuses to forgive Brenner before he dies. In Russia, Hopper, Joyce, Murray, Yuri, and Antonov escape the base after discovering several more creatures from the Upside Down as well as a shadowy fragment of the Mind Flayer under study at the prison. Uh, pretty cool episode. I like this one overall, but you could tell it was basically like a big setup for the final one. That's what one. it was. Yeah, that was my uh, take on it for sure. So like, but it was still good. Like, you know, they're only giving you two more episodes. I was definitely happy with this one. Well, and it's, it's fun how multi-layered these characters are. And of course, Brenner, uh, who's pra- played by the awesome Matthew Modine, you know, going back to yep. an 80s actor. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, you like in a way, at least my own opinion as a viewer, I kind of did feel bad. Like you hated him a lot of the time, but like, you know, his death and everything and, you know, you're seeing where he's coming from. And even though he was using her to, to find Henry, uh, I think it was like to maybe try to help Henry, you know, and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, yep. you kind of got mixed emotions about it. So that, that stood out in this episode, but you're exactly right. Uh, that's, that's the bottom line that chapter eight here was setting up the huge finale of season four, which we'll dive into here. Hey, y'all. 
And that is episode nine, chapter nine, The Piggyback. Again, by the Duffer Brothers directing. The various groups enact their plans. Max, Lucas, and Erica go to the Creole house to distract Vecna, while Steve, Nancy, and Robin go to its upside-down counterpart to attack him, with Dustin and Eddie creating a diversion to draw away the bats. Knowing Vecna will invade Max's mind, Eleven's group creates an isolation tank for her to piggyback into Max's mind to fight Vecna. Meanwhile, in Russia, reasoning that their kids will go after Vecna directly, Hopper, Joyce, and Murray re-enter the prison and kill the remaining demogorgons in order to weaken Vecna. Uh, things start to go wrong when Jason discovers the plan and holds Lucas at gunpoint, demanding they end their satanic ritual. Lucas tries to reason with Jason, but is forced to knock him out. Nancy, Steve, and Robin are restrained by the vines in the upside-down Creel house and incapacitated, trying to buy extra time for the attack to su succeed. Eddie sacrifices himself to the bats and dies in dust and in, in the best way ever, we must say. Yeah. Shout out to Metallica and Master of yep. Puppets. <laughs> yep. I can't. That's yeah, I mean, that's, gonna, that's the moment of the whole season, without a doubt for me, in my opinion here. Uh, Eddie becomes the fucking hero. Like, it's the... They set the character up to be that. They made everybody kind of like the character, and that's how he, like, he was set up to rise up and fall quick. A great character. Definitely my favorite of the season for sure. Um, but, dude, that was fucking awesome the way that they did that shit. And it's amazing how Stranger Things is affecting this stuff. But, like, now, of course, Master of Puppets is fucking, like, getting tons of spins. And You can imagine me, as else. you know, hey, I had a huge metalhead and huge Metallica fan, one of my favorite bands of all time. And I'm like, you don't know who Metallica is? It's like the J. They're, you know, 18 or like teenagers. They're 12. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, really cool. I mean, they're, they're on social media recreating it with the actor and everything. And, and the actor that plays Eddie actually, you know, played the guitar and stuff too, which I don't know if you've seen him shred Master of Puppets in some of the footage. And everything. No, that's they, cool though. Yeah. Uh, as Max hides in her memory of the snowball dance, Vecna finds her but is stopped by Eleven. In the ensuing battle, Vecna overwhelms, overwhelms Eleven and reveals to her that he has controlled the Upside Down ever since she sent him there. It was who he shaped the shadow creature into the form of the Mind Flayer and began looking for a way to return, using the Mind Flayer's physical form to steal Eleven's powers to create portals. He restrains Eleven with vines and possesses Max's mind. Mike professes his love to Eleven, giving her the strength to break free from the vines that, and attack Vecna before he kills Max. Uh, Eleven gains the advantage in the mind battle, allowing Nancy, Steve, and Robin to break free and set Vecna's physical form ablaze and shoot him, but he disappears after falling through a window. Max succumbs to her wounds and dies, but Eleven uses her powers to restart her heart. Uh, her brief death, however, allows the four gates to open fully and tear through Hawkins. Two days later, the town is recovering from the earthquake, quote-unquote. Everyone unites, although Max remains comatose, and Eleven cannot find her with her powers. Will senses Vecna is still alive, and the group watches while storm clouds and red lightning gather above Hawkins. Plants begin to wither and die, and spores begin to drift through the air, suggesting that the Upside Down has begun to bleed through into the normal world. So that's the way the season ends. Like, that to me is one of the best episodes of Stranger Things, bar none to me. Uh, I really thought that last episode was fantastic. Uh, great job. I can't wait for the next season, which they're going to be doing a time jump, obviously. It's going to be super fucking weird, however they explain this. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it, man. I really, really like the season because I just thought they ended it, like, on the strongest possible note that they could. 
Yeah, pun intended. Ended with you know pretty much the climax, Master of Puppets, and everything that led into Eleven and Vecna's awesome battle, which was really cool. And you know, and again, you see you see where their money is spent. You know, there's some of these huge blockbusters that you know you find out that they had these blown out budgets, and you, you can't even honestly, even like what we know about filmmaking, understand where the money went. This is one I'm like, okay, I, I can see why this is one of the most expensive streaming shows you know last few years. Like, man, was there just crazy effects and everything, but you know, again, dude, with the, the 80s nostalgia aspects of it, being kids of the 80s watching this stuff to these characters that you really can sink your teeth into and you really start to follow and root for and everything. You know, of course, Eddie Munson becoming, I think, the predominant, you know, fans of Stranger Things favorite, uh, you know, definitely specifically of this season being added in. And I, lo- I know a lot of people were pissed that he did die, even though it was the best way ever, you know, moving forward. But, but yeah, I mean, how, how can you say anything bad about this? I mean, maybe a couple holes here and there, but overall, dude, this was a damn near perfect episode to go out with. And, and like you said, hey, Ed, they, they keep the door open for, for season five, which I heard the Duffers talk about. You know, obviously, they're not going to divulge too much information, but basically they're looking to explain exactly what the uh, upside down truly is. Is kind of the the main plot device of, of season five. So uh, that kind of makes sense with how this ended. You know, like you mentioned, with Vecna seeming like he's still alive, Max Rainey comatose. She's not even comatose inside joke with the head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the group watches as it seems like the Upside Down's coming. You know, it's going to be this big battle of worlds kind of thing. But, yeah, what a way to go out. What a cool season. You know, I, I think it's one of those things that the, the – you know, as long as you can be patient and it just shows you, and of course, this is one of the most popular shows, not everything can do this, but the break between seasons and the pandemic, like kind of, uh, you know, throwing things off there kind of helped because, you know, this thing just came back with a bang. And like you said, like at first I was kind of, you know, first three, three or so episodes, you're kind of feeling your way and you're like, you know, it's still the world of stranger things. I still like these characters, but where's this going to go? And then, man, it just, you know, like we said, like that, Battle Up the Hill song episode season, you know, uh, episode four, just moving forward into the climax just really blew me away. This was awesome. Yeah, it really, it just, it's a very good example of why this is just such a great show, why so many people like it, why I really like it. Uh, they've done a great job with the characters over the seasons. And, you know, it is, you could tell it's getting to the end and it probably should be getting to the end, but like, I'm fine with that. Like, just do it right. You know, like, the greatest shows all came to an end, and like, if as long as they didn't let it run too fucking long, it was usually really, really good. Uh, and I think they have the ability and the opportunity to do exactly that. So uh, I'm really, really looking forward to another season. It's definitely going to probably be a while again before we get that season. Yeah, they're like just uh, starting to, to write it. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I'm saying like two years at the soonest, and that's probably being rushy about it. So. Uh, but, dude, I really liked this season. I was really happy with it. I'm glad, you know, that, that we got to talk about it finally here on the show. Yeah, man. And I'm, and I'm sure we'll be able to do the next season, too, if they don't make us wait a decade for it. Yeah, well, what's real will still be going. Hey, yeah, we said we're going for the, the glory huck, as we say in the show. And, you know, just throwing in, because I, I talked about it so much, having some facts in front of me uh, with the Wall Street Journal reporting as I was kind of talking about the budget, that the total cost to produce season four of Stranger Things, hey, Ed, a whopping two hundred and seventy million, which Jesus. amounts to roughly thirty million per episode, and uh, the the show went on to become the one of the most largest streams uh, in Netflix's history. Famously, completely bringing down Netflix 
uh, overnight when it premiered, like at midnight, like the first episode oh, and everything, okay, yeah. the, the, yep. uh, it, it crashed Netflix. Damn, I've never heard of anything crashing Netflix, so no, that's pretty impressive. It became the second Netflix title to reach more than one billion hours viewed, uh, following, of course, the surprise Korean hit Squid Game. Yeah, like, I don't know what they, that's one thing I don't know, considering all the shit we know about movies and everything, like, I know what it means when a movie does, like, you know, say, like, $100 million at the box office over the weekend. Like, I don't know what their things get them. Yeah, and they don't, like, oh, they don't disclose that really hours. either. That's, like, one of the, it's yeah. like one of their known things. They don't really disclose too many st- statistical data, you know, and, and financials through Netflix, because I guess they can do that. Because that was a big news story, too, was them, you know, losing a ton of, of streamers. But like we said, man, mm-hmm. what goes up, what, what must come down? So it's like, okay, you're going to be pissed. Like, uh-oh, Netflix has 4 billion viewers. Now they have 3 billion. They better start sounding yeah. the alarms. <laughs> it's well, billions it's like, of billions. You know, I know what you're talking about, how you, like, don't understand, and neither do I. But it sounds to me like 1 billion hours viewed is a lot. Yeah, I would think so. You know what I mean? But you probably, with a show like this, to get, like, the repeated viewing. Like, motherfuckers that just watched it, like, five times. Right. Like, they they don't do anything else but just repeatedly watch Stranger Fucking Things. Like, but I don't know, man. I mean, good for them. I mean, I hope that's a good thing because, obviously, I want them to be able to make shit like this and content like this. You know, it's just another place for creators and people to be able to make stuff on this kind of a level because you're not even seeing shit like this come out at the theater in any kind of capacity now. Yeah, because that was the other thing I was reading on um, September 30th, 2019. Netflix announced it had signed the Duffer Brothers for a new multi-year television and film deal that was reportedly worth nine figures. God damn. And, and they they already announced that there is going to be a Stranger Things spinoff, although details of that are, are mum, but there is a, an announced Stranger Things spinoff in the near future as well yeah and i mean that makes sense because i do think there there's places they can go with that shit like with other characters with other people you know like mike looks like he's about to be 40 so you might not want to do it with his character like but you know i mean there's definitely still more shit to tell about that universe so i I say go for it it's not overkill or anything close to that at this point did you did you catch the meme that was a picture of Bruce Willis's character from Pulp Fiction with yes. like his little silent girlfriend, and they said, "This is Eleven and Mike." Mike, and, and, yeah. and, and Mike was the the little like mouse talking girl, and Bruce Willis was L. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like uh, feel old yet, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, shit's great. But we are going to take our another commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're going to talk about the A and E biography on The Undertaker. So. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. This is Ed for the What's Real Podcast for the IWC Superstar Showdown 3, July 31st at the Ross Draper Ice Gardens in Belvern in Pennsylvania, featuring John Morrison, Pento Oscuro, Danny Moff, Eddie Kingston, and Buck Nasty. Get your tickets online now at IWCWrestling.com for the Superstar Showdown Sunday, July 31st at the Ross Draper Ice Gardens in Belvern in Pennsylvania. That's the IWC the International Wrestling Cartel. And we're back, and it is time to get over to the world of professional wrestling. 
specifically with the A&E series biography. They're doing another set of the WWE legends. Uh, We covered these uh, on the podcast whenever they did it originally, probably like a year or so ago, I would say. Yep. So uh, they're coming back and specifically the first episode, which is all about The Undertaker. Uh, This one, I think they kind of, you know, you reused a lot of footage that we saw in the documentary series that we talked about called The Last Ride. Um, but not a bad show. I mean, you know, it was pretty much like the uh, the two-hour version of that, I guess, like a truncated version overall. So it, it, there's, I'm more likely to watch this again than I would be to watch that whole series again. I'd say that much. Yeah, and that one kind of followed them day-to-day a bit more. And that's the cool thing with this. It, it is still pretty fresh that The Undertaker is opening up to be, quote-unquote, Mark Calloway because for all these years, 30-plus years, he's just played the kayfabe game. You know, for those that don't know wrestling talk, that means you know, he stayed in character and was very, you know, never came out in public as, as, as Mark Calloway. He always <laughs> was acting like The Undertaker pretty much no matter what. They showed some footage of that. They, they you know, they shed some light on that where like he was doing an interview and he was just saying like one or two word answers and stuff like, okay, I could tell you to rest in peace. You know, <laughs> it was like so awkward. Uh, but, but yeah, th- that, that means it's, it's still more fresh, even though we've seen all this stuff uh, from undertaker and this one got a bit more personal too. Cause you actually meet his mom, which I was surprised yeah. his mom's still alive. Cause he's an older guy and you know, she was coherent and looked looked healthy and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, take it overhead. But yeah, it was really interesting to see even more personal, like him playing basketball with his daughter and things like that. That's what kind of made this stand out, you know, to previous things that we've seen. Yeah, he goes through the whole deal about being trained by Buzz Sawyer and how Buzz Sawyer kind of like beat him up and ripped him off, which is a pretty common story. Uh, they showed some video. This was kind of cool uh, of whenever he was wrestling in. Um, World class. They showed his matchup with uh, Bruiser, Bruiser Brody, Brody his first Texas match. Red. Yep. Uh, they talk about some other stuff. They, uh, of course, they talk about his friendship with Steve Simpson, uh, the South African wrestler. Um, they go, you know, like just trying to get around like his early days in pro wrestling. Then they, of course, get into WCW and how messy of a company that was at that point. Uh, and of course, Ole Anderson. Uh, being a dickhead that he always was to everybody, uh, basically told Mark Calloway that nobody would ever pay to see him wrestle, which, you know, wrestlers in their predictions, boy, especially better ones, end up really <laughs> yeah. always looking like total fucking assholes. Yeah, good call. And we've, seen, we, and we've seen this firsthand, the Jay, you know, by certain Leviathan-like individuals. But, you know, nonetheless, it's always funny when a wrestler just says something super shitty and it just translates into like, yeah, this dude's just a total dickhead. Yeah, we said, man, it's you know, especially going back. The further you go back within pro wrestling, the closer it was to the Carney days. And that's that's in professional wrestling's DNA. And those are the type of characters that you're going to get. And that's the bottom line. So, you know, but but yeah, th- this was cool kind of reliving all this stuff, just, you know, different angles from from some of the some of the stuff that was covered in the last ride, because I, w- I would say that's the best comparison, because, again, the Undertaker didn't really come out with personal information before like the last few years. So the only thing to really go off of as far as that era of the Undertaker slash Mark Calloway is the last ride docuseries that, that was on the cock. 
in WWE Network. So, so yeah, this, this was just kind of a follow-up in, in a lot of ways to that, but they were hitting on different points, you know, and, and, and they, they, one thing too, that, that I even forgot, I knew how far that the undertaker and Percy Pringle who had become Paul Bearer went back, but there was a um, sportatorium in Dallas footage of yeah. Percy Pringle and him all the way back then, you know, before, like you mm-hmm. mentioned the, the part with the South African wrestler, Steve Simpson, who we must say was on here too, still alive and, yeah. looking well and healthy and, and had a nice perspective somebody I never heard from. So, you know, again, with, with two super fans like us, it's always good just seeing fresh, you know, talking heads and stories, obviously. So to, to get something this early that was stuff that I hadn't seen on The Undertaker yet was, was definitely an early positive for season two of the A&E bios here. Yeah, I mean, it looks like this is them producing actual content for this as, as opposed to just recycling a bunch of shit. So it's nice that they're updating some stuff and trying to find some new stuff to add to them. Uh, of course, they talk about, uh, you know, they, they make it a big deal, like the la- his last switch of a company where he goes from WCW to WWF. Uh, and then from pretty much that point forward, you get exactly the type of story that you think you get. They kind of like rush through a lot of stuff and hit the bullet points. Like they talk about his relationship with Paul Bearer. They talk about the stuff with Kane. Uh, you know, like they get into his personal life and shit like that. And, you know, the they talk about his undefeated streak at WrestleMania and then like the family with him and Michelle McCool. Uh, and that's where it kind of feels like the truncated version of The Last Ride. Um, but, you know, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't a bad episode. I'm kind of surprised they were able to get something like two hours out of this, but they ended up covering a larger swath of his history than I guess I expected them to in the first place. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, definitely pretty much run-of-the-mill WWE programming, right, Hey Ed? I mean, you know, great yeah. production value, nice clips, good talking heads. You know, Paul Heyman uh, is always greatness, but in full pro WWE mode, which is just always Oh, hilarious. yeah, no <laughs> yeah. doubt, man. Yeah, but he's still such true. a great storyteller. You know, he's all intense about it. And, you know, he, he specifically had a great take on on Ole Anderson and WCW just saying, like, you know, how, how big the debut of, of The Undertaker uh, was at WWE and how much of a failure that was to WCW on, on their imagination with, with you know, talent and stuff. So, so yeah, some, some definite highlights. And, and again, for, for two guys that have seen the undertaker's entire career to at least take even any semblance of anything out of this, which I did here was a good thing. And as huge wrestling fans, a good tight package like this, again, being really well put together and things is always an easy watch for me. Yeah. And I guess we could just, cause you know, I'm sure people are smart enough to figure this out next week on the show. Uh, we're going to take a look at the uh, another A&E biography on uh, former WWE champion Goldberg. Um, I don't expect that one to be as interesting. I really hope that they're not planning on doing like a two-hour one because I think that's a little bit too long. Uh, but we'll see how that turns out. We'll obviously talk about it on next week's show. But like, you know, I'm curious to see. You know, like the Lex Luger one's the one that I'm really looking forward to because it's been in the making, I feel like, for the last two, two and a half years at least. Uh, And, you know, this was supposed to be originally something that was going to be on the WWE Network that they never did. Yeah, we were excited about that, and it it just disappeared. So it'd be good to see that one uh, for sure. But, you know, uh, they're not all going to be winners. I thought the Undertaker one was good, but I'm kind of like... 
Overtaker at this point. Like I've seen all, there's been a ton of stuff in the last two years with Undertaker kind of wrapping up his career. Right. Yeah. So I'm not really fucking hankering for it anymore. You know what I mean? That that goes into that. Him wrapping up a 30 plus year career and then kind of finally, quote unquote, coming out, you know, as far as being Mark Calloway, uh, like we've been talking about. Uh, you know, definitely there's been a lot of content re- regarding Taker. And this is kind of just icing on the cake to all that. The only other thing, you know, kind of wrapping everything up with this head that I wanted to bring up, and I think you had mentioned, like, you know, of course they have to cover the streak and cover the streak. But it just brings that up again, you know, because they, they go from where Michael Hayes of all goofs was, was the first one to kind of realize, like, hey, it's like Undertaker 7-0 and at Mania. We should do something with that, you know, and then all, last all the way to WrestleMania 30. But it just brings up again the controversy. And just since we're there, because like you just said, we probably won't talk about this again, even just on the podcast. Do you still, you know, what's, what's your thoughts on on Vince McMahon? Because, of course, he makes the final decisions. He was wishy-washy with having Brock go over at WrestleMania 30. Obviously, eventually decided to make that call. Even The Undertaker himself found out that day. And Bruce Pritchard's on this, and he says that he still hates the decision and still hates to even watch it now. From I'll throw my perspective out firsthand, since I'm ranting right now, and then you can give me your thoughts. I still have come back to I'm honestly wishy washy with how I feel. I still come back to the acceptance of it, and even though it's a fixed sport, it's it's set in history to be what it is anyway. I'm kind of content with it, and I think it still stands out the way it happened. See, I kind of think it was a mistake. Um... Maybe you know Taker does. I mean, you could see he well, doesn't really ever say that, but you could tell that he's like, I you know, I would have liked to have retired with the streak. Well, he also fucking ended up like having a bunch of other matches and shit afterwards. The, it doesn't make sense at that point to have him lose and then have other WrestleMania matches. That should have been his last match. Yeah, they should have mentioned that was his last match. The opponent too. Like, yeah, that adds to, adds to Brock's legacy. I mean, Paul Heyman just brought that up on WWE programming not too long ago about, you know, Brock getting a streak, getting the streak. However, I, you know, I don't know. I think that's, you know, everybody talked about maybe like, you know, he should have waited a year for Roman at least. Cause that's when Roman was building up, but now look at Roman. Now he obviously didn't need it. So I don't know. I think that's going to be one of those things in the echelon of pro wrestling history. That's always going to be a debate, you know? So, so I figured might as well throw it out there again, since we're talking about it. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles. Like, you always got to go back and kind of armchair quarterback shit that they've done. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this one ages for sure because I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I wouldn't bet on it. I'll put it that way. So, but uh, we are... Oh, shit! Fuck! I was going to be ready this year. Hey, Ed, a bullet just whizzed past me. Oh, shit! Dude, witching hour. I totally forgot. Thursday night fucking God prime, damn guys. It. We're, we, we're, both, we're both under the tables shit. right now. I think we're good. But we have to go to a commercial. Uh, here, I'm going hey, to hit Start start loading up. Start loading them up. Fuck. Hurry up, man. All right, look, guys. We'll be back right after this. Uh, when we come back, Thursday night prime is back. Uh, Cobra, 1986. Go so that's for so, uh, I got it. Okay. Guys, we'll be back, guys, right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. What's real, everybody? Once again, it's your boy, the J, with the What's Real podcast here today to talk about Churchill Pictures and ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures is a production company literally born in Churchill, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh, where friends since childhood, Damiano Fusca and myself, grew up. In 2007, we collaborated on a dream project, a feature-length film. 
With very little resources and an even smaller amount of money, we set out to accomplish our ultimate goal. Pulling together a combined network, we were able to pull off the entire filming of our co-written feature film debut, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival. Deference is now available in hard copy format at churchillpictures.com and is currently streaming on vimeo.com, Amazon Prime, or check it out for free on YouTube. Subscribe to the Churchill Pictures YouTube channel today. Also available is the intense second feature film from Churchill Pictures, The Unsung. The Unsung is now available in hard copy format at walmart.com and is currently streaming on vimeo.com and Amazon Prime. Stay tuned for the next big CP project, an action comedy set in the 1980s about a struggling professional wrestling company. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com for more information and CP's entire library of videos, projects, and more. At Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. It's time for Thursday Night of Prime. And we're back, uh, barely, by the way. I uh, I'm, I got grazed by a bullet. I'm pr- like on my elbow, so I'm I'm all right. But fuck, yeah. One, I wasn't one ex- whiz past my head. I have headphones on, and I still, you know, it's crazy. Ugh. We we talked about being prepared this time, and it just, you know, the zen of the show, just covering Stranger Things. You're in the zone, head, and you just forget about these ambushes and Thursday Night Prime. But uh, but yeah, I kind of got the bunker resituated. It's been a while since we opened the door, and like I said, I kind of had to get you some of the new weapon code and locker codes and stuff on your end. But, you know, next week we'll try to be more prepared, but yeah, Man, luckily no damage too too much done, but de- definitely under attack. I forgot how fucking expensive it is to do the oh, same. So my wife's it, like, it's, again, like, Oh, you guys are doing TNP again. It's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I like it and all, but fuck, like I, I need people on the compound. Like there's like salary, like, you got to do tax forms and yeah. shit. Like it's ridiculous. Like you can't even hire henchmen the way you used to be able to. But anyway, uh, the point is, uh, we're talking Cobra this week from 1986, director George Cosmatos, uh, who is kind of like a contract director uh, around the uh, Golan Globus group as well. Uh, did Rambo Part Two, obviously, working with Stallone. Uh, also did Tombstone, another great Plus, movie. Yeah, classic. And uh, also Leviathan, a movie that, oddly enough, I saw in the theater in 1989. Uh, surprising that I remember that, but I do. That was uh, Peter Weller. Yes. Uh, but speaking of Cobra from 1986, a tough-on-crime street cop must protect the only surviving witness to a strange, murderous cult with far-reaching plans. Um, of course, this is an interesting flick. Uh, it It sounds like total garbage, but the fact that you have Stallone, like the badass fucking renegade cop versus serial killers in a cult. Uh, is, and Bridget Nielsen is kind of like the model that is the, you know, he's protecting because she's essentially next on their hit list. Uh, and you get a pretty cool, uh, like action sort of horror-ish kind of vibe flick. And it's, it, you know surprisingly for what it is, it's one of my favorite Stallone movies. Yes. Yeah, Cause again, it's the, the Gulbis world kind of version of a Stallone movie, you know, not your typical huge budget Stallone kind of fare. 
you know, and uh, of course he's excellent as Cobra. I mean, this is a perfect kind of role for him in 86, of course. Um, kind, of, kind of initial cool tidbits, hey, Ed. This was based off the novel Fair Game. And yep. it, that, it would be later remade. Do you remember that one with Cindy Crawford, of all people, with Billy Baldwin? Yes. I think we're yes. in yep. And that was like one of those ones I only watched it because of Cindy Crawford. You know? Me and you both. Of course. And, and another strange thing about this that, that got brought up, uh, just re-watching this and everything, was that this was at the time where Sylvester Stallone was pretty much in to play Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. Did you know that? Like, like that's the first I time do. I heard that. And then, you know, he wanted like, this kind of version of Beverly Hills Cop. He wanted like a more action oriented one, but it was going to be too big of a budget for the producers. And they ended up changing their plans and Stallone dropped out. And then, of course, uh, the classic um, series with Eddie Murphy began. But uh, just a little factoid there that, that I stumbled on uh, rewatching Cobra here. But uh, we talked about this, the first real on screen presence of Brian Thompson as the villain. And I know you love him yes. in this role yep. as Night Slasher, you know, one, one Fucking of the great. cult members. And, and the only other thing to mention at the out, outset, hey, Ed, it's something else we talked about on the show because another great classic TNP moment was covering Brian Bosworth's first uh, film vehicle, uh, Stone Cold. And we talked about the opening of Stone Cold because I said how much I love that in the supermarket. And you mentioned right there on our review, Oh, that was taken from another movie. And, and I was like, oh, that's right, Cobra. <laughs> yep. So we get to relive it here on TNP in an awesome uh, opening scene with Marco Rodriguez as the said supermarket killer, in quotes, with, with a crazy scene with some hostages and him in a, in a shotgun. And, and on top of it all, this, this film takes place around Christmas time in its world, too, which, which adds to yep. it weirdly. So throw that in with the other uh, Christmas fucking movies that you have there. Uh, but dude, uh, Robert Tepper does a bunch of the soundtrack to this, and it's super cornball, fucking Stallone fucking 80s, 80s shit. Yeah, but it slaps like a motherfucker. Because of course, like the, Angel in the City. Yeah, here. I was like, gonna say, of course, you know, they some shit. It's 80s and Stallone. They have to have the montage. Hey, you know, cue there's the a bunch of them, <laughs> yeah. and it's. And, dude, there's something uh, – shout out to my buddy Kelly, by the way, who I doubt even listens to this, but I'm going to do it anyway. But he always brought this up, and I thought it was a great point, so I'll bring it up here. Why is it that all these – like, one of the tropes for these 80s, like, action cop movies is the dude is such a good cop that he sucks at everything else. <laughs> and by that, I mean, like – they, the sequence they show you in this one where he's like cutting pizza with scissors, scissors and yeah. cleaning his gun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Again, a lot Dude, like Stone shit. Cold. In those yes. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like they're such good cops that they just do everything. Like they're usually like womanizers or shitty dads or just, you know, like on a shit marriage or an asshole or there's always some other added thing. But it's like they're just terrible people that can't grasp the simplest of concepts because they're just such good cops and, fighting justice. And going hand in hand with that and talk about classic, especially 80s, but action movie tropes. Of course, all the detectives and sergeants and stuff hate him other than you know, his yep. partner, Sergeant Gonzalez. The guy fucking you know, Cobretti. Yeah, Andrew Robinson, who plays Detective Monty, is like the, the one dude turns to him. He's like, call in Cobra. And he kind of rolls his eyes and then, you know, Stallone as Cobra gets there and he's like, I just want you to know I wasn't really happy with them having to call you. 
Like just you know, yeah. Stallone always just looks at him goofy and no sells it. <laughs> but dude, this movie, it's such a banger, like from beginning to end. Like it's this is definitely up there, I think, for like best things we've ever picked for Thursday Night Prime. Uh this fucking movie is just a ripper all the way through, dude. Like the the crazy fucking serial killers and the cult people that are just constantly one step ahead of them. Fucking, you got, uh, fucking, uh, God damn it. Why am I brain farting? His partner. Uh, oh, uh, Sergeant uh, Gonzalez, Renny Santoni. Yeah, Renny Santoni fucking in a great fucking role in this one. Uh, like, it, it, just good cast. It moves quick. It's a, it's a really, you know, like, he has a fucking cool car. And, like, there's just so much shit about it. Like, some really good, like, tense sequences and shit. Narrow escapes, gunfights, fucking people on motorcycles getting fucked up. So, like, the action sequences are really good. Like, this is what you want out of a Thursday Night Prime fucking movie wholeheartedly. Yeah, hands down, the best scenes are, as you mentioned, when the the threesome, it's, you know, Cabretti, Ingrid, and Sergeant Gonzalez uh, are kind of on the lam at this point, just getting away from the cult. They're trying to protect Ingrid. And they end up at this, like, small town in this seedy motel. The you know, motel. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. Ingrid and, and Cabretti hook up. And then, like you said, the cult shows up on motorcycles, and that is an amazing scene. A lot of great yep. stunt work, a lot of great action sequences. Dudes coming through the hotel freaking windows, through the walls. Gunfire. Just getting shot. I think, like, at least, I'm not even exaggerating, like, at least probably a solid eight dudes get shot and crash uh, motorcycles in that one yep. scene. And, I wouldn't and, argue with that. You know, that leads, of course, a uh, really good solid climax with the showdown between Cabretti and the Night Stalker, you know, Brian Thompson in, in like, you know, classic, almost like Terminator-esque, like fucking, you know, forging factory with like the, you know, the melted lava. <laughs> that's, fucking yeah, that shit. shit was amazing. It's great. That was literally amazing, that scene. Fuck. Yeah, there's so much, dude. It's such a ridiculously good mode. Like, it just hits all the right marks for something like this. And then there's just, like, this extra modicum of sleaze that just works so well that you got with, like, certain era Stallone shit. Like, you just did. That's that's why I like the shit. That's why I dig it. Like, this is a great flick. If you guys have never seen fucking Cobra, you totally need to quit listening to the show right now and go watch Cobra. Like, it's one of those. Like, it's definitely one of Stallone's best, in my opinion. It's always been a favorite of mine. I'm glad we finally got to cover it here on the fucking show because I just love it so much. Like, it's it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, because that's one of those things you can't forget because you were just mentioning, like, the level of violence. You know, from, from what we've seen to these days, especially the shit you and I watch, you know, this is kind of tame when you really think about it. And it's like it's like one of those movies, too, even with all those, you know, saying crashing motorcycles and really cool action sequences – there's not a lot of blood, you know, of course it's like that is in tune with violence, but it's not like a gory bloody film, but at the time it was like considered this overly violent, like ridiculously violent movie to a lot of critics and everything, which is yeah. looking back on. And, and as I sometimes do, Hey Ed, getting like different takes, you know, just breaking down Cobra here on TNP and the return of Thursday night prime on the what's real podcast, but some, you know, different critical takes, uh, 
Paul Atanasio in the Washington Post, as I butcher his name, good, because I hate critics. He would say the movie is such a textbook example of an exploitation cop movie that you can outline it like a schoolboy for easy reference. Then a more positive one from the Variety staff at Variety. Cobra is a sleek, extremely violent and exciting police thriller. Uh, then you have another bad one. The film trades on the same technique used by books that attack pornography by printing examples of the dirty pictures. Cobra pretends to be against the wanton violence of a dis uh, disintegrating society, but it's really the apotheosis of that violence. <laughs> so, in, in the last one, I'll throw this at you. Hey, Ed. Uh, Cobra is the dumbest, most indulgent possible iteration of the quote, America has become a cesspool of crime subgenre popularized by Death Wish and executed with an actual brain by Robocop. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just goofy action fun that we love and Stallone in a role that, that was just, like I said earlier at the outset, perfect for him in 86, in, in, my, in my opinion. And dude, I, you know, I do this occasionally here on the show. I go into Letterboxd. The Letterboxd, yeah, let's hear it. This, so this is somebody uh, named Sydney. This is a great fucking review, by the way. Cobra is certainly a unique experience. Nothing about it makes any sense. And right from the beginning, the tone is set as something surreal, borderline on, for, on science fiction. It's mean as hell, and the strange camera angles turn into kind of dirty nightmare. If Stallone was wilder, it would have resembled a comic book. Instead, his deadpan manner turns in, into a charming little Terminator. <laughs> there is no real villain, only a vague army of murderous psychopaths making the story into a paranoid vision of our society. If you've ever wondered what it's like to have social anxiety, this is pretty close. Cobra is too busy battling the endless stream of faceless monsters to have an actual life and even his fellow cops are his enemies. He's a recluse. His attitude and clothes and dialogue seem completely unrealistic and out of place. Even though he's a badass with insane talent for violence, his abilities set him apart from everyone else and he's left to do his thing mostly on his own. This is a story about being an awkward weirdo in a, in a scary society. That none of us seems none, that none of this seems intentional makes it all the more appealing to me. Does anyone still believe that action canon can also be art? This trash can also be beautiful. Watch the car chases in this film, the warehouse showdown, the opening sequence, the sequence in which the group of cops argues in front of an office while the camera swirls around and around and then stops on a shadowy and scary close-up of an intense conversation. The reflection of the world in the sunglasses Cobra hides behind. What a fucking review. Yeah, good breakdown there. You gotta love Letterboxd. But yeah, it brings up some great points as well as like just, you know, the the wardrobe of Cobra, like, you know, the black and the, yeah. the, the aviators. He's and fucking, of course, he's always cool chewing on the match. You know, he has yep, the match the in his stick. mouth, puts puts his gun like right where his dick is and his jeans, you know. And, and Absolutely. one thing I can't believe we didn't bring up yet that we always talked about with Cobra is, of course, his fucking car. It's unreal. Yeah, like, and then, and then a, he crashes it. Choice. He's like, you know, at the way in, they're like, you know, like kissing his ass. And he's like, well, could I just get my car back? He's like, I don't think yeah. that's in the budget, Cobra. Yeah, they're like, immediately like, thanks, anything you want. And then they're immediately like, yeah, fuck your car, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Could I get my car back? But great movie. But as I was going to say the Jay, as we always do here, hit us with the tagline for Cobra because it has one of the best ones of all time. Yeah, I was going to say, before I even throw out the tagline, because it's from one of Marion Cabretti's best quotes in the classic quote, you're a disease, you know, the cure. And that, of course, was uh, taking place at the aforementioned opening supermarket scene that he says to the, the supermarket killer. 
as he is uh, cast, you know, as he's called in the credits. Uh, but yeah, on the poster, crime is a disease, meet the cure. And then there's a smaller one under uh, where it says Stallone Cobra, the strong arm of the law. And an IMDB one that was actually pretty good. Hey, Ed, this is where the law stops and I start. There you go. That's a good one. So as we do here on the show, five-star rating scale for movies, I'm going to give this one four solid stars. I'm right with you. Four solid stars. So can't argue with that one. So we are going to take our very last commercial break of the show. Whenever we come back, we're going to wrap everything up and we're going to talk some goofs. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday night prime. What segment weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday night prime. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Ed and the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Geeks. And we're back, and it is that time once again. So, the Jay, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, here we are, hey, uh, going from being under siege, under attack, doing the Thursday Night Prime segment. But at least when we survive, we get to enjoy life on this beautiful, majestic valley here as we sit upon the waterfall of goofs. And we are back full blown on the official 122 of the What's Real podcast, this elusive 122nd episode that initially disappeared off into the ether. We're back at it, hey, Ed, and on the train, as we say, on our horses. But Goose or Goose was going to be no different on the one Deuce Deuce. So here we go, hey, Ed. I don't know. This one was freaking hilarious. I had to throw it at you. The headline, Indian scammers faked a cricket season and conned Russian gamblers out of their money. (laughs) This this is like the plot out of of a movie. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. It is in the greatest sporting example of fake it till you make it uh, <laughs> a group of farmhands an unemployed youth in a small town of Gujarat in India faked weeks of Indian Premier League cricket for an audience of Russian gamblers. Wow. The, the quote unquote season made it all the way to the quarter quarterfinals before police learned of the fake league and busted up the fraud, <laughs> but still had for a few magical weeks, gamblers gave their money to the league watching live streams of matches and had no idea they were watching a bunch of random dudes playing fixed cricket and not one of the most lucrative sports in the world. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, quit betting on shit, I guess is the, the lesson here. You know what I mean? Like you assume shit's re- like, how desperate are you if you're gambling on fixed cricket to begin <laughs> like, or any cricket really, but <laughs> Like, what a stupid fucking scam to get people with. So I guess you deserve to get scammed out of your money, is uh, what I'm is, saying. That is so awesome. And we're, we're, with where we're at with Russia, and, you know, we, we don't generalize on the show. For you good Russian people out there, we, we get it. But but still, you know, that correlation is just it's just too much. Couldn't couldn't pass up throwing that story at your AL. Hey, yeah, here on GRG. Mo- moving forward, this is a, a fun thing we always like to throw on here with the crazy animal stories and, and these animals that, that pop up. And of course, one of our go-to places on the planet Earth 
You know what I'm talking about. Hey, Ed, I just returned from there. It's Florida where oh boy, things might be bad, but at least we're not battling giant calamitous snails that spew parasitic gray. <laughs> calamitous is not a real word. I'm going <laughs> to just say that straight off the bat. We got to so look it up. That's... It's C-A-L-A-M-I-T-O-U-S. Yeah, I guess. okay, maybe it is then. I don't <laughs> Fuck the first that's... the first comment. I mean, they're talking about Republicans, right? <laughs> Not that we get political, but too much to pass up there. But yeah, I mean, they're these. Um, this is the third time the state has tried to eliminate these giant snails. They're real creatures, and uh, you know, if I'm mispronouncing it, uh, you know, hit us up at whatsrealpod at gmail dot com. And next <laughs> next week, I'll read. it I correctly. dare you, <laughs> yeah. you fucking cowards. Hey, hey, Ed, he's going full Christmas story on your ass. He double. Dog dares you to yeah double dog, but yeah you giant fucks. calamitous snails that spew parasitic brain worms. So put that in your uh, house of nightmares, hey y'all. Yeah, that sounds like nightmare fuel for sure. Did you see this? Um, this is just a random thing. You know, we'll continue with the goose or goose and some comedy. Uh, but this was just in my my list here of something I wanted to bring up to you. Did you see the the new trailer dropped for a upcoming HBO documentary? It's called We Met in Virtual Reality, and it was filmed entirely inside VR worlds. You know what? I heard about this, Dude, but I didn't super see anything about it. That that's Yeah, that is interesting. I don't know why, because I have no interest in that kind of shit, oh, but it just, just sounds know, like it would be something. It's kind of like the next medium. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, they the talk metaverse. about. Yeah, we, I was going to say, I talked to Cam about that, because, you know, obviously he works for Meta. He knows all about this shit. He works in VR. But it's one of those things that hasn't caught on as quick as, as they had thought. I mean, there's still a ton of people into it. You know, your boy yeah. here, I, I talk about on the show, I have two VR systems with PS4 VR and uh, uh, Quest 2. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things. I think the, the technology is still not there yet because as much as cool as I think it, as it is, I, I don't think I've ever fucked in VR. Fucked in VR. <laughs> I wish I fucked in VR. <laughs> that's going to be coming. I'll, that's going to be coming. Jeez. Oh, hang it up, man. Oh, the witching hour. Jesus. Oh, and that, that was even on the slate. Hey, yeah, that's that's GRG for you. Uh, next next up, I don't know if you caught it. State Senator Tiara Mack, which off the bat, State Senator Tiara Mack. I mean, she sounds like she's like in the same group as Megan the Stallion. Uh, she tells us that she won't apologize <laughs> for her recent twerking video, saying it's time we shake things up in politics. And man, can she twerk. As a, for a senator, hey, God damn, that's go a lot it, of money, man. as they used to say that's on a, uh, In Living Color. That's if I ever get killed in some nefarious way, I need my significant other to come and twerk on my grave just to show me fucking proper respect after I'm no longer here. <laughs> yeah, just reminded me of that. Um, so. This is one of our guys who kind of turned into a goof, and I won't, you know, we don't have to get political, as we say. We get enough of that bullshit. But I just had to read you this quote. From a guy that we used to think was unbelievable in the NFL. Of course, I'm talking about Herschel Walker. He's, oh, this is going to be fucking put like mind stew. Yes. Putting fucking brain asshole that he is. He said, quote, our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good air space. Then now we got we to clean that back up, end quote. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the walking, talking head injury, Herschel Walker. <laughs> yeah, which at, at the end of the day, it's like, I, I hate to even make fun of it. The, the quote was just ridiculous. Uh, again, you know, being NFL fans and the fact that like his family might need to step in because the poor guy probably most likely has CT. Yeah, he probably should not be talking on any sort of a thing resembling a live microphone like ever. As, like, as uh, comedian Patton Oswald said on here, this is cruel. This man shouldn't be trotted out like this by his cynical handlers and made a fool of. He needs help and he needs friends and family around him that are looking out for his well-being. Uh, you know, that's, that's he, what you take from that quote. He needs something. Yeah, uh, scans. But <laughs> <laughs> next up, I don't know if you saw this one. I, I was going to buy this for you. Hey, you know, it's a <laughs> Colonel Sanders tent. That's what I need too. It's finger looking good. Yeah, it's finger looking looking good. It looks like an igloo with Colonel Sanders on top of it. The best, the best igloo. The, the best, the best part about it is the door handle is a drumstick of fried chicken. <laughs> uh, of course, the first first person on here. What if we kissed inside this cool Colonel Sanders tent? <laughs> You'd become a fucking twelve piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as we do thrown at your out on the show here i just sent it to your twitter to, to check out the picture because it's hilarious these people oh my god the time of their lives and the buckets empty hey you know they destroyed that shit so well that's you know if you get a bucket of fucking chicken from kfc now i want chicken i literally i haven't yeah, had fried happened. chicken in so long oh, Fuck. Dude, it's been forever that's the dumbest that. thing i've ever seen yeah ever dude it probably retails at like five hondo it's probably thirteen hundred dollars for a it KFC takes tent. Like four hours to set it up. And twenty-two double D batteries. Yep, but hey, get some double D's in there, and you'll be good to go. That's true. No arguments. Out and, yeah, talking about finger looking good. Hey, yo. Fing, finger looking good too. <laughs> yeah. Last but not least is a personal friend of the show. We always throw on this segment. He's our man. That's right. I'm talking about our boy Yay. Kanye West, and I don't know if you saw this because this kind of goes in with our, our fashion talk and, you know, how Kanye has taken over so many different industries. I mean, that, that's what they say here on the TMZ reference article. Kanye West left his mark on a ton of industries, shoes, clothing, and even STEM players. And now he's laying the groundwork for what could be a retail store for all his wares. And I can't even pronounce this. Talk about bringing up all this stuff that's tough for the J to pronounce. It's it's Yeezy Play, so it's Y Z Y S P L Y retail. Oh, uh, it's I got it. It's like shorthand. Shorthand, yeah. Like, but he he recently he and his legal team, I should say, recently filed a trademark Yeezy Play for retail stores, online ordering services, and other retail store services. Fans might already be familiar with Yeezy Supply. Oh, that's it's Yeezy Supply with his acronym. Oh, so they're opening up stores that are Yeezy. That, I mean, that's kind of good because like you don't really have a lot of like retail outlets for Yeezy shit. Like it's not like you're going to Foot Locker and getting Yeezy stuff. They don't have it. Exactly. So. And that's what this says uh, that he, um, you know, has used the Yeezy supply site to sell limited release shoes or clothing in the past, but the new trademark suggests he's going bigger, possibly opening brick and mortar stores. And this would include, um, you know, his latest filing, which is every clothing item you could wear, hey, Ed, including G-strings, shirts, socks, hats, visors, and tennis wear. And then, of course, there's pictures of um, like Kanye's Gap collection that had that fucking face mask that looked like you wear to rob banks in a jean jacket. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. So there you go. Yeah. Our man, yay. Yay. Jesus. To yay. 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 And as I say to hey, Ed, my brother from another <laughs> mother, see what I did there in the witching hour. You, you, struggling. You, almost painted, you almost painted yourself in a corner there for a second, but yeah. you got yourself out call very me, slickly. Call me baby, hey, you know. But as yeah, I say, nobody to, backs the J in the corner. As I say to my brew from another moo, between Indian scammers to Russian gamblers, <laughs> the Colonel Sanders tent, poor Herschel Walker's brain, yay in retail stores, Tiara Mack, the twerking senator, and deadly snails. I'm not trying to pronounce that other word that they are. Goofs are goofs. So that's about it for us here this week on the show. Thank you guys for listening to episode 122. Hope you guys enjoyed the summer vacation specials as well. Uh, We're back on schedule again, so just expect the shows this way from here on out as we normally do. Uh, But thank you guys for listening. If you want to send something to the show, you could do so at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that is whatsrealpod at gmail.com. If you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review, uh, you know, unless you hate us real bad. Um, but, you know, you could listen to us each and every week on all your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. But before we get out of here, hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. I got to say, if you hate us and you're listening to this, thank you. Seriously. It's true. People yes. do that. Like, I hate this shit. I'm going to criticize it. I hate listening I just spent two and a half hours with these idiots. But yeah, I'm revving it up. Hey, you know, revving it up like I'm... Um, Freaking scamming Russian gamblers doing a twerk contest in a Colonel Sanders tent this week. But yeah, I love the show, man. Love spending the time with you. What other things to do than go into the world of the What's Roll podcast on most times a Tuesday afternoon here in the pit, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Love the show. Have to shout out our producer, the wizard behind the boards himself, Cam. Thanks, Cam, as always, for that 16K crystal clear sound of the What's Roll podcast. And to my brother, hey, yo. Thanks for doing what you do, being who you are. Hey, uh, I know personally you got some really good things going in your life, and I'm proud of you, man. Happy for you. It's good shite. And uh, the Jay's going to sign off as I lead the charge and say this before you. Hey, uh, like the great generals of the past, stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the Jay next week. So that's about it for us this week here on episode 122. Thank you for that, the Jay. Appreciate it. Clang, clang, brother. Clang, clang. Successful defense of the tag team podcast championship of the world uh also thanks to our producer cam for all the hard work he puts into the show as we know here on the show nobody beats the whiz so that is it for us here this week on episode 122 don't forget to join us for episode 123 and beyond next week uh of the what's real podcast thank you guys for listening once again so stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you next week right here on the what's real podcast what's real what's